Dan Pfefferman. And I'm Benny Shoulder, and welcome to Juanced, The show that challenges popular conceptions, thinks critically, examines independently, and most of all, seeks nuance. Each episode features a different guest. We'll dive into politics, foreign affairs, religion, science, tech, culture, and more connected to Israel and the Jewish world. No talking points, no script, no agenda. Just a deeper, nuanced understanding of the world around us. Join us as we explore, think, discuss, and perhaps most of all, listen. Juanced. You know, like nuanced, but with a J? Yeah, they get it. Dude, let's just start. Greetings out there in podcast land, everybody, and welcome to Juanced. I'm Benny Shoulder. You know, I forget who I am. It's been a while. I guess that makes me Dan Pfefferman. Or Donnie. <laughs> or Donnie. <laughs> Donald Pfefferman. <laughs> Donald Pfefferman. It could be. It Turns could be any, any one of these things. There's a Donald Pfefferman out there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere out there. Many of you have been wondering where we've been, what's been going on with us. Uh, we, we actually got some fan mail. What's going on? I said, people see me. Hey, you still doing the show? Yeah. Right. People checking in. Are you are you alive? Uh, is everything okay? And and yes, everything was the most were, definitely Were you kidnapped okay. by Somalian pirates? I wish. That'd be do it. you really wish? I mean, no, not really. But that'd be a do. great story <laughs> if you survive. They, survive. They, could, they, would, they would probably make a movie. You'd definitely get a movie out of it. There haven't been enough kidnappings for it to be boring. Tom enough. Hanks would play me. You <laughs> wish Tom Hanks would play you. He's old now. You don't want you know. He had Corona. Huh? He had Corona. He was one of the first. Mm-hmm. You remember? Shaked, yeah, our, our guest today, Shaked Beirik, definitely remembers Tom Hanks was one of the first coronavirus uh, victims in Australia. That might explain why they shut down so hard in Australia. Because Tom a, Hanks was there? It's a weird Hanks. piece of trivia, man. I know. It's very strange. Uh, weird. Weird Yeah, d- different, different people. You're in a, it's not even a dark place. It's just a weird place. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so we're going to move on out. Celebrities, as, celebrities as, as, who have had corona. No, in, in all seriousness, it's been, it's been a very, very interesting, busy, and uh, kind of a stressful time for me over the past couple of, uh, of, of weeks since our last show. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that during this episode because uh, a lot of our episode is going to be surrounding... Uh, uh, my wonderful profession, Shaked, your profession. We kind of have uh, uh, adjacent professions in the same industry. Uh, we'll get into I, that. I feel for you. Yep. So uh, some stuff's been going on lately. And Dan, you you also adjacent to our profession. You actually had a group uh, in the country. The, the, the three of us uh, adjacently make up the various parts of the tourism profession right? in Israel. Yeah, yeah. It's been a crazy month. It's also, the last episode we did was right before Yom Kippur. And for those of you who are not familiar with how Jewish holidays work, it's it's this string of like holiday, Shabbat, holiday, Shabbat, holiday, Shabbat, holiday, Shabbat. I'm observant. And that means there was like literally no time to even record a podcast. Um, it, it, it's insane. Then we had a wonderful group from Bahrain here in Israel, which is how... As you did. Which is how I met Shaked. That's right. And... Um, it was nuts. We put together the delegation, the whole thing, within less than a week because we got a um, green light from the health ministry and the foreign ministry. Okay, you can bring them in the country. Okay, we got to get moving. And then I was with them 24-7, and then literally the day they took off, I took off for Dubai, and I just got back. And It's been a crazy time. It's been a crazy can time. I, can I share the, uh, the story of, of, of how the group uh, was formed kind of at the last minute? And how I, I learned about that, or is that uh, we can we can take this out if that's not uh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. It was like four days' notice. No, the group was formed and waiting. Right, the itinerary was put together with 
40th right. notice. Yes. Ba- basically, Dan gave me a call and he was like, so yeah, this group's coming on Monday. It's like the it previous Wednesday. Wednesday. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> it seems like if I, if I can turns out we didn't need it. Get oh, everybody oh. in my office together to try to deal with this one. I'm going to, I'm probably going to get uh, slapped in the face. <laughs> uh, but, but, but through, uh, through some, some <laughs> great uh, colleagues and, and friends in the industry that we all have, uh, Dan was able to successfully well, it, say, put together very it, successfully. It, thank you. It turns uh, out uh, not to, to, the credit or fault of anyone else, it turns out most of what we ended up filling it with was, with was specific content related to the organization. So most of the touring related stuff we did, we ended up not needing anyway. Right. Um, we but, did, but, we but, managed to get a, a day in Jerusalem and a day in Tel Aviv. That's right. And but but yeah. to your credit, I, I will say that in, in, in more normal times, the type of headway that we would have in terms of the organizer and planning a trip like that, would would be months and months and months and months, months in terms of of you know pricing it out, getting a you know get getting the lead, pricing it out, going through the you know the the, the different motions, you know sourcing oh, yeah, suppliers, yeah, yeah. We, briefings we, with guides, it was nuts. going over everything. It was, it was it absolutely nuts, times. and we did it. Um, so to your credit, thank you, thank you, uh, and and you know worked literally twenty hours a day um, to put it together, and then you know r- running and chewing gum at the same time, trying to plan this, and of course there was a media circus around it. So I was juggling journalists who were trying, uh, you know, of course, because of the nature of the organization that, that I'm in, um, but also the interest story. We had a lot of media surrounding the event. So we were coordinating constantly um, and trying to get journalists interested in them coordinating with how they could meet us. So, it, you know, every single day, 10 times a day, this journalist, that journalist, this camera crew, that camera crew, how can they connect with us? Where can they meet us? What's our schedule? Um, it was insane. It was actually insane. Um, anyway, anyway, um, before we jump into the episode. So check it out, everybody. As you all know, Juance is a listener-supported podcast, which means that we rely on the generous support of listeners just like you to make sure that we're able to continue to source terrific guests and bring wonderful content to you. Uh, here on the show, online, uh, and and elsewhere out there, uh, I think that, and we always come up with this running tally of countries. But I think fifty five episodes in, we can probably say we're pretty much in any country that you can legally listen to a podcast. Yeah, basically, I, I think we're waiting for Uruguay. Like we didn't get to Uruguay yet. There's like a right. ranchero, right? Uh, you know, like a gaucho in Uruguay who hasn't tuned into right. right. But no, we're at about one hundred and thirty seven countries. Last time I checked, um, interestingly enough. All of the Middle East, huge parts of Africa, you know, places where I didn't expect people would be interested in a very Jewish-Israel-related show, but they are. Good, good, good. So if you would like to uh, become a supporter of Juanced, you can make a one-time contribution on our PayPal account, or you can make an ongoing contribution on our Patreon. Uh, We we, uh, prefer uh, that you would just make make a contribution. Uh, It doesn't make any any difference to us. but uh, but yeah, go ahead and check out our website www.juance.com for information on how to do that. Uh, and, and also also also, uh, if you want to ha- sponsor a live episode, a Juanced live, uh, you are welcome to do that. Reach out to us. We can source the guests. We can interview your guests. Uh, we can just talk for like an hour or two. Um, whatever whatever floats I hear your organization. I hear or we're like pretty boats. practiced on doing that. We've done a few of those, yeah. and they've been fantastic, and we've got a few more uh, coming. I've uh, been working a lot with um, um, 
Jewish agency uh, partnership communities. We're working with a uh, Orange County Jewish Community Scholars Program. And so um, if that's of interest, please reach out to us on the website, www.jewance.com. Absolutely. Uh, so that kind of brings us to to our episode today. Uh, we're sitting here with Shaked Beiri. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. That's good. Uh, we're having, we're having, um, I should say it's been, I mean, what do we say? We said we're since Yom Kippur and until yeah. now having, having a guest. And I have to say, thank you for coming into the studio. My pleasure. It definitely oh, makes so a better. really, really big difference, uh, for all of us. And, uh, and, and yeah, it, it makes like a very, very big difference in terms of the dynamic of the show. Um, let me just real quickly. Uh, well, let's introduce our guest. Absolutely. So we have, like we said, Shaked Billy, who I had the pleasure of meeting uh, when we asked her to guide the Bahraini delegation in Tel Aviv. Um, and a shout out to our all our mutual friend, Ari Leifert, who connected uh, between us. That's true. And, and he runs a wonderful tour company called uh, Walking Israel Tour. So we'll give him a shout out uh, for sure. Good man. Good, good man. He's a good man. And he does wonderful impressions of uh, various American presidents. Um, but uh, he really does. He does. <laughs> Which ones? Oh, All his his best is Trump. Okay, he does a good Kennedy. Does, well, I yeah, I, I wouldn't know. In Jerusalem, he did a really good Kennedy uh, for everyone, but obscure, also obscure. Does he do Bush and Clinton? I'm sure he does. That's awesome. Um, but Shaked is a native, tenth generation Israeli, true, and a third generation tour guide, and a first generation. Wandering Jewess. That's true. <laughs> you go. You go by the name the wandering. The wandering Jewess. The wandering Jewess. Yeah. Uh, she is a tour guide, mm-hmm. an author, a speaker. Uh, you have a master's degree in modern. What is it? Modern anti-Semitic studies, or, I'll, I'll or how help, do you do? I'll, I'll yeah. help you. I have a master's degree in Israel studies okay. uh, from uh, Haifa University, and an additional certif- uh, uh, certification to uh, teach about. Current critical anti-Semitism and the delegitimization of Israel. I love it. I hate from, it. But, from uh, Oxford but University. <laughs> so I love my anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's something that we all uh, deal with for sure. And um, you took, we'll talk about this on the show for sure, when COVID hit and your entire, uh, our our mutual profession was uh, decimated, uh, or part of my, but definitely all of your mutual profession was decimated, you went off to the middle of nowhere which, which the randomness of which we'll talk about also because yeah. there was a huge coincidence. Mm-hmm. And you wrote the book. Let me see here. It is uh, Secret Israel, the Israel Most Visitors Miss. Correct. And right. I'm excited to hear what that means. Very, very cool. Yeah. So I think we can start out by basically just explaining a lot of our guests, of course, have been to Israel and they've experienced a, tra- a, a travel experience or an organized tour here in Israel. And they might understand what a tour guide does here. But many of our many of our listeners might not understand. Mm-hmm. And when they think of a tour guide, they might think of, you know, going to, uh, you know, Times Square and they're seeing somebody wearing a red T-shirt holding up a sign saying, go on a free, you know, free tour. Yeah. Free tour How of, I started uh, in Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, I think the company's oh, yeah? called like what Landemans or, or something Sandemans. like that. Sandemans. right. Sandemans. No, there's also like the red shirt tour. Oh, we don't need yeah. to give them traffic. No, no, no traffic. <laughs> so I've, I've gone explain, on their ex- explain, if you will, for yeah. for the benefit of those that aren't initiated, the 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 background of a tour guide in Israel and how it may differ from experiences that they've had in other countries. Sure, pleasure. Um, so. Uh, actually, it's so funny you say that because I'm I'm actually writing about that uh, in the exposition in the book because it is so distinct. It is so distinguished from other uh, tour guides in other countries. So in Israel, in order to be able to guide, first of all, the government 
demands that you will have a certification. And the reason is, uh, the way that I usually present it is, um, a lot of places in Israel has uh, what we call an explosive nature, an, an explosive nature. Um, in more ways than one. <laughs> more ways than one. Um, there are many places that uh, are called for by more than one religion, and sometimes by more than one sect in the same religion. So there can be, uh, ex- you know, except for the fact that there are sites that would be um, holy to different sects in Christianity, and uh, there are there are plenty of stories to tell about the same site. So there can be uh, a site that would have a different Catholic story, a different Greek Orthodox story, a different Protestant story. There, there are different ways to, you know, different faiths or different ways of faith and different ways to tell the story. Uh, but moreover than that, uh, moreover there is um, uh, there is also kind of a thumb rule where if it's if it's if it's sacred to the Jews, it's sacred to the rest. Uh, so you have places that are uh, holy to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. What? Why is that? Why is that? Um, why, why is the thumb rule valid? I should say. And uh, then the thumb rule uh, valid because um, basically uh, there are, let, let's just say, okay, the Jews follow the Old Testament, uh, Christian follow the Old and the New, and the Islam accepts the Old and the New as sort of, we'll call it an ex- sort of exposition or like pre-books, but then follows it with the Quran. And a lot of the, uh, I don't want to say characters, but a lot of the figures who are in the Old and the New are also uh, appearing in the Quran, mentioned in the Quran. So take, for instance, like the best example of all, uh, uh, King David's tomb, right? So uh, King David is... Um, obviously, very uh, very sacred place to the Jews, uh, very sacred place to uh, Christians as well. Not just because of King David, but also because of the room of the Last Supper that is considered to be right above that uh, right. Uh, that place. And um, King David is also Nebi Daud, right? The uh, prophet David in the Quran. Uh, so also holy place for Islam. Also Jesus, the room of the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus Nebi Isa uh, in um, in in the Quran. So you have a place that is sacred to um, many different, like to three different religions and many different sects in those religions. So every place in Israel, you can't just um, wake up one morning. That's what the state understood very early on. You can't just wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to go guide a tour in Israel and tell whatever story I want to tell. Being a tour guide means you have a responsibility. It means you have to put your faiths and everything you believe in aside, not toss it away, you come with whatever baggage you bring, uh, and it's okay to present it, but you also have to be able to tell the story of everybody else to the best of your ability. And that's sure. what we do. We're, we're storytellers, uh, but we have an obligation for everybody. And that's why uh, when you go into tour guide training, uh, it used to, back when I did my certification, it used to be two years. And um, two years of studying basically 7,000 years of human history and... Uh, everything that has to do to the land with like botanics and zoology and everything around it, uh, geopolitics, of course. So it ends up that in two years you're practically learning, you know, thousands and thousands of history of a certain region, uh, and you become an you become an Israel expert. And the worst part is, by the time you're done, you realize that you actually don't really know anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you, you may not know this. I did uh, in two thousand nine and. 2010, I did a tour guide course uh, at the, the Society for, for the Protection of Nature in Israel. Oh, so we were about the same time in the course. Was the same time? Almost, yeah. Uh, and I remember, first off, awesome, awesome, awesome experience. Yeah. Best course for anybody listening that's on the fence. Uh, you know, possible career sta- sustainability and stability at the moment aside. Uh, 
terrific and fun and, and life uh, rewarding experience. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, there were definitely, you know, you have units which are uh, fascinating and then you'll spend like six weeks talking about flowers. <laughs> and, 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 and flowers are great. And there were people in the course that, you know, they were, they were very much flower oriented you know, or, or flowers and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> if it was uh, geology and I, you know, I, I love earth sciences. Um, but I think that for a particular type of people, specifically maybe North Americans that are co- going to the profession, it's, it's definitely more about like the, the people in the, the land politics, and, and sure, Israel, and the politics and, and things like that. And the majority, and I found this interesting and it could have just been a function of where I was, uh, uh studying, but it, the the majority of people in the class, you know, uh, native Israelis of, of various different ages, and 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 that's also an interesting thing that you know there are people of of all different ages in the course. Uh, they weren't so much interested in that. They they were probably training to, uh, you know, teach uh, about uh, you know the history of battles of 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 the IDF, or they were interested in uh, taking um, you know employee unions to different places and to show them you know things. Uh, Christianity is a huge component of the course. Yeah. Uh, and I think that for many Israelis, it's probably their first real introduction to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we take that for granted sure. growing up in the, in the United States that, that we understand that uh, a little bit more. Um, but it was a great experience. It's also so. a lot of the, ma- you know, m- much of the work mass is mass. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, much, much, sorry, I'm terrible. I told you that. I'm awful, awful, awful. I'm awful. I'm awful. I told you that my biggest tragedy, tragedy is that I'll never live up to my jokes because I'm never going to be a dad ever. So Bad jokes uh, are for everybody. Bad <laughs> jokes are I know for the discrimination. Everybody. It's just Embrace discrimination. Embrace the inner dad joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, for me, it was an introduction because I, I used to walk around the alleys of the old city. I was like a teenager and I used to walk into the, you know, if I find my way into the church of Holy Sepulchre, cause it's really hard not to end up in that church when you walk around the old city. And, um, I just, everything, everything seemed so weird. Everything was, I mean, nobody ever talks to you yeah, about sure. that. Um, and it's, yeah, it was, it was a huge introduction, but also that's like most of the work mass, like just more Christians than, right. than, than right, Jews absolutely. coming over. And now hopefully we'll start getting Muslim tourists. Yes, please, please. That was I, I such really an experience. <laughs> wow, wow. That, that was mind blowing. Guiding the Bahrainian uh, delegation. That was, I, I couldn't believe it when it happened. Qu- it was insane. Qu- question for you, because we talk about this as a profession, you know, in the, in the organizers and whatnot. And it seems that you know, many people are of the belief that there will definitely be business people that will come back and forth, but they're not so seeing the potential of organized Islamic tourism why? to Israel. I don't know why I'm asking you. Look, um, I don't have a... a, a the a, the a, UAE a, and Bahrain are small. Morocco is much bigger, but also I don't know if they have the money, you know, the masses to come here. It's an expensive tourism destination. Even though our Bahraini friends were saying they, they were shocked at how expensive the hotels were here. Um, what, no, I'm going to take a step back. I'm not, I'm not saying that they wouldn't want to travel. No, 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 no I get that. The potential for Islamic... Pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah. Would they want to come as pilgrims well, to you know see what? Islamic I, sites in I, this I, country? I think is that it's not just Islamic appealing? sites. I think I think because the way Shaked was explaining is because Islam takes under itself all of Jewish tradition, all of Christian tradition, and then adds Muslim tradition, I think there's going to be a huge interest in in religious pilgrimage in general um, to to all of the religious sites here. Um, and you're talking about, you know, what, 2 billion Muslims in the world. Uh, as the doors start opening up, I think you're going to see more and more. It's going to be a trickle at first. It's going to be delegations that are organized. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of... Are we going to uh, let them in? Uh, Good question. I, I First of all, from the countries that have already signed, yes. Um, there's Right now from the UAE, there's no visa. That's I what I'm saying. Know. There's no visas. No. Like are we going to... You let- don't need a visa. You can just come in. Right, but if we're talking about Muslim pilgrims that are coming from 
countries well, that I are, think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Um, and, and I'm excited by it. I mean, imagine the doors when like in Indonesia opens up. There like, actually is tourism for Indonesia. Yeah, there is. And it's the largest Muslim country in the world. There are, there are 200 plus million Muslims in India who already can come here. I think I think as it becomes more of a normal thing, I think we'll start seeing it. Um, we'll, we'll get there. It's not going to happen in a year, but you know, in ten years' time, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Like I, I, I'm hopeful, and I wouldn't be shocked. Do we have the types of guides that understand the nuance that can do that? No, right? Hardly. Why not? Well, I think it's it's a matter of. Um, uh, of demand there's just there isn't any yeah <laughs> um right now there is no so there no so the, well, there are muslim tour guides in well, Israel. well no no, no that, that's so i'm 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 saying um no okay there is the knowledge there is having the general knowledge of um um muslim history and you know don't, don't get me wrong um tour guides in israel do know very well the muslim history in uh in israel but knowing the history and guiding Groups that come for you know for specific um, for specific goals are two very different things. Yeah. For instance, when I mean I know the history of many um, um, many sects in Christianity here in Israel. When I get a Catholic group, we have a very specific tour, and it's not that I'm not going to speak about Protestant history here in Israel. I'm going to, or from a Protestant angle, but you know a Protestant tour here would also be a very different tour, and the way that we will speak about Catholicism. Uh, and about Catholic sites is going to be from a different angle, not from a bad angle, but from a different angle, and it's a it's a it's a trade. Uh, so right now, I don't think there is, um, I, I I don't think there is even training. So you know when, when we talked about the tour guide training, and that's a very hard training. Nobody talks to you about how to guide Muslims in the Holy Land or any group for that matter that that's coming from out of Israel. The the, the concept of how to now take this a massive amount of information that you have soaked up hopefully and, and understood and then yeah. and then craft that into a effective and engaging lesson per se mm -hmm. to a group of people coming from a very diverse or, or different place that's that's something that i think you acquire either you you, you may at the beginning have it or you don't or mm -hmm. you acquire it over time but yeah. it's yeah. you can't teach it's that it's funny you say that because i actually um in the past in 2019 i started um an initiative with the uh, israeli school of tourism and i opened uh with the manager of the school in haifa university i opened a course and i did training courses for tour guides mm -hmm. of how to deal we called it israel's image on tour uh what it basically was is how to deal with anti current anti-semitism and delegitimization of israel on tour because it's there um, and the the interesting thing was besides the besides the the big surprise because as Israelis we are not super aware um, about, of anti-Semitism. People yeah. who came from abroad are you know everybody who uh, made Aliyah and then joined the tour guide training was super aware, and everybody who was born here was like, huh? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so there, there's that, and the fact that knowing how to correctly recognize anti-Semitism because you know in, in Israel it can either go so what or all the way to the range of every little thing can be considered you know, anti-Semitism, yeah. when it can also be just an, you know, just a, an honest mistake of somebody who grew up listening to all sorts of things. And it's not necessarily, you know, like burning hatreds toward, uh, towards Jews. Uh, and I developed a, um, like a lecture and also a workshop to try and uh, simulate a tour and how do you react in different situations. And what I did is I, I um, did a survey among working tour guides, collected a bunch of situations that really happened. Um, and gave them to uh, the students to kind of 
uh, work with uh, in class in front of their classmates. Um, because it's true, when you get all the information, but you don't get the tools of how to work them in front, yeah. of, an on, in front of an audience. It's interesting what you're saying. Uh, absolutely. Um, but, but rolling it back a step here, I mean, what, what, you're, what you're essentially saying is kind of, is, 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 it's unexpected in a way, because you're saying that the people that are on a tour in Israel that have decided to come to mm-hmm. Israel, are, 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 you're confronting anti-Semitism amongst that cohort of people that are here. Uh, is it is it deliberate anti-Semitism or is it anti-Semitic attitudes that they may have absorbed from their faith community or culture or? Okay, so the the deliberate anti-Semitism would uh, obviously be you know the, the 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 minority like like it always is. So well, like know, they chose to come to Israel, they must know that. Yeah. So uh, and again, here it's. Um, uh, the, it's a matter also of the kind of anti-Semitism. So uh, when we usually, usually like the the normal division of anti-Semitism would be uh, extreme right, uh, right wing or uh, extreme right wing, extreme left wing and uh, Islam. And there is also Christian anti-Semitism that is still uh, yeah. going on. It's like the and classic anti-Semitism. Classic, very classic. Yeah. Um, and then the question the OG is. OG anti-Semitism. OG? <laughs> Old guard. Old guard. <laughs> Old school. Old school, yeah. Old school. So then the question is why, you know, why did the person come to uh, to Israel? I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of a silent guide, right? Silent guide is, is a guide that is uh, assigned to a group for insurance purposes, but is not really talking. And the person who's doing all the talking would be the religious, um, the, the religious uh, guide that came from the origin country. With oh, that's the group. a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Yeah, in other countries, they might call it a pilot that sits on the bus like to just supervise or, or speak it. the local language to yeah. help out. Because you need to have a guide here? Yeah, yeah, you have to have... Oh, uh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, Look and you, all snob- <laughs> snobbing it up with your tourism oh, professionalism. You did. Oh, you set- didn't know? What? <laughs> Look how the government set that up for us, right? Yeah. <laughs> Shocked. Well, so in, in groups that would come here for a religious purpose, you would often, even if even if the guide is guiding, you know, so there would be um, religious anti-Semitism, and it happened. Again, it doesn't, and, and I want to I state, anti-Semitism, um, there, there can be, um, there can be, po- like we'll call it, quote unquote, popular views uh, that are anti-Semitic, but the extreme anti-Semitic incidents would be rather rare. You know, someone had, you know, someone have one or two or three stories to tell me. It, it does. It's not that it happens on every tour, every right. t- like all the time. Um, but there was, so there would be like religious anti-Semitism, like a, a guide who told me that uh, somebody got up on the bus and said, you know, you, you know, because of you Jews, like you know, uh, you killed the, you killed Christ, and you know everything. I don't don't remember exactly the words. Um, and there would be all the way to birthright trips, where you would have. Um, um, I don't my English is Mr. Nanim. Yeah, like uh, infiltrators. Infiltrators, exactly. Yeah. From, if not now, or, uh, pe- you know, just people who would come to basically cause some... some like, yeah, like radical left, uh, prog- radical progressives who infiltrate Yeah, who will come to right? radicalize the, the group and, yeah, and, sure. and they would come with like a, a prepared um, sure. like question page and, and they would, you know, read off of it and uh, basically, you know, and then leave the group and whatever and try to create some propaganda and, um, and, and uh, provoke. That's, yeah. that's pretty much it. Provocateurs. Yeah. Take a pause for a second and and, and just state how crazy that is that somebody has infiltrated a group that is run by an organizer that supposedly vets the group for like you have to go through screening to get on some of these trips. Mm. And you, As somebody you, who guided that trip, I can tell you that these trips, I can tell you that the screening process is. Oh, really I know, low. I know. Look, I, I I have people in my office right now that used to work in, in birth, right? They're like laughing at me. They're saying like, Benny, because no, like, <laughs> no, they're to the point where there's 
they're running out of people to bring. Right. I mean, yeah. But on paper, back in the day, <laughs> you should have gone through an interview process. But There's now it's, it's like, like are you a, are you a far left provocateur? Yeah, it's like when they ask no, you on the uh, on no. the plane, like, do you carry any explosives? Like, if I was, like, if if I were, would I really tell you? <laughs> yes, like, you got it right. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Why did you have to ask me? <laughs> no, well, look, I mean, what was that guy? Richard Reed, the shoe bomber. Yeah. He had explosives. But in like, the okay, when they ask you on no, the plane, right. did you pack your own bags? Most of the time I want to be like, honestly, my wife packs my bags because I'm like spatially, you know, challenged. Um, like I put, but you can't tell them that because it'll be like, wow. No, I know. actually went with a friend to uh, uh, my, my ex-boyfriend. We went to the airport. He was supposed to go back to the States. And I mean, he, he didn't fly often before he came over here. We were standing there and he was like, did you pack alone? I was like, no, actually she packed with me. I'm like, oh, great. And like, was the suitcase <laughs> with you the whole time? Like, no, actually it was in the living room oh, and during we the night and we the were van. in the bedroom. Oh. And I was like, no, 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 no. Why? Why? Just why? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, on this last trip just now, like I just came back from Dubai and uh, I accidentally left my pocket knife in my... No. They, but they were nice about it. They're like, what is that? And, okay, we have to take this. I was like, oh, it's my... You know, like a leather man? Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That no. sucks that you lost your leather man, but I mean, but, but at least they could have been they, much, they much could worse. Have, they could have caused uh, trouble. It's a very small one, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's my box cutters. Hey, hey, listen. By the way, uh, by the way, we have uh, uh, our friend Wais... Uh, who who we you know we've been saying hi to him a lot on our, our different episodes. Shout out to Wais. And um, for those of you who don't know, and Wais, we hope you're still listening. Um, Wais was in Afghanistan, and he was very openly supporting the show and very. Openly he was an Afghani in, Af- in Afghanistan. An Afghani in Afghanistan, openly supporting relations with Israel and um, making friends with a lot of people here. And luckily, luckily, after many efforts by a lot of people, including and especially Stephen, our friend Stephen Shalowitz. Uh, Wais is now safely in Abu Dhabi. He got on a plane a couple days ago, and uh, hopefully he'll be finding a uh, new and uh, safe and productive life uh, somewhere after he goes through Abu Dhabi. So we're really uh, glad for you. And we also have two of our friends who were on the Bahrain delegation. We have with us Aisha and Fatima. So they they say hi. And uh, thank you, Fatima. You're also the best. Um, and uh, at some point while you're talking, m- one of my parents um, asks, what questions did you get from the Bahrainis that you've never heard before while guiding? Oh. You can answer it at a later time if you want. Yeah, I need, I, I need to rewind the tour now. Rewind the tour. Um, question. Well, we could we could go back to anti-Semitism yeah. for a second. No, sure, sure. Uh, but I'll, I'll think about it. And as, we'll, you, we'll as, come you, as you think about that. Let it mm-hmm. stew. Let, let it stew exactly, in your Let head. it stew. So, if you're on a bus and the tour leader is a open anti-Semite and now you're, you're forced to be in a position where you could choose to engage or you could choose to, let's say, you know, just sit there. Um, I mean, you, you have a, a moral, a personal, and in, in, in many ways a professional decision to make whether you now engage with somebody who, you know, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a transactional relationship with. I mean, they're, they're paying you. Why, why would an openly uh, uh, anti-Semitic tour leader hire you to be to be the guide often they are they're not very aware of their anti-semitism um so that that would and and then it depends if you were we're talking about a member of the group or are we talking about the person who hired um the the person who hired me like the 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 group leader and these are two very different relationships um basically the thumb rule would be you know hit the ball not the man Uh, so try to address 
you know, a certain thing that the person is saying without hurting the person. There are all sorts of techniques. And, and, and that's also what I try to, to teach in the courses. Um, guiding in Israel and, and speaking about Israel, and Dan, you, you know that uh, know this because you speak about Israel a I lot. Do, I do. Um, speaking about Israel, it's like walking on eggshells and, it, you know, and, and there's no way you're going to leave any of them whole. It's like you're going to crash every one of them as you walk. Um, I'm okay with that, by the way. Yeah, no, it's a great feeling, isn't it? It's like... <laughs> no, I, I take the, I'm just going to speak the truth and, uh, you know. Is it your truth? <laughs> it's my truth. <laughs> my, tr- my truth. Don't touch my truth. <laughs> um, but that, so that's basically it. So it's all sorts of techniques of how can, uh, how can we... Give uh, us an example. Uh, so an example would be uh, a tour guide who told me once that she the, um, uh, she finished a, a tour in Yad Vashem, uh, the Holocaust Museum in Israel, and the uh, it was a very Christian group. And the group leader uh, went ahead, took the microphone, and said, "You see, everybody, this is what happens to people uh, to to a nation who doesn't listen to its God." Whoa, Yo. Meaning, Jews didn't follow Jesus. Look irk, what happened. Irk, irk, irk. Yeah. So, uh, what do you do? Uh, some balls <laughs> <laughs> to say that there. I mean, like he, he wasn't really paying attention to the message of the play. <laughs> he didn't see. I don't think you're listening there, buddy. <laughs> well, you know, he took the place, and I mean, he saw it the way that he yeah, wanted. He, no, he no, used it as a man, he, he took the place and made it. And he you know, made the manipulation that he sure. saw fit, and you know, to the to the group of followers that he brought. <laughs> Um, but there was a but there was a Jewish Israeli guide with them on the bus, a group from South America, and uh, she took the microphone and explained, you know, that there are um, different ways to work God, and that Jews are very godly people, and you know that there are you know that there you know that there are very different ways even in Christianity of how to uh, of how to follow and just tried to give you know, a very uh, holistic um, uh, view of, of everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure every person who listens to us and goes to uh, pray, whether a mosque or a church or a sh- or a shul, and heard the rabbi or the priest or whatever, uh, or, or the imam saying something that they didn't 100% agree with, they're people too. Right. But but it, it definitely accentuates something that's, that's you know, if you want to, you know, Think about it. It's it's quite interesting in that this is not a place that people come to just go on a vacation. Right. If you were going on a vacation or if you were going on a trek to the Far East or if you were going to South America or if you were going to Europe, you might say, well, most of the people that are going to go do those things, you would hope because they're people that love travel and they're like wandering and whatnot, they come with an open mind and they're going to listen and they're going to try to soak in things and you know, if, if you want to be effective at going through that kind of an experience of discovery, you should, you know, it would behoove you to listen and try to not come with preconceived notions and not try to use whatever content you're looking at as a way to prove your point. Mm-hmm. But Israel's different. Oh, Israel is much people different. People come here, and, and the way we as a business, I think, also approach that is, is you know, we do it in a very cal- calculated way at times where we will engage with whatever our clients' political or religious sensibilities are to a point where we may write two very different experiences for two very different target markets, whereas we're using the exact same sites and we're hiring different people that can mm-hmm. present it in a different way. And, and, and at the very end of all of this, you can say that some of the experiences that we work in are definitely not, I want you to come with an open mind and listen and understand. It's, you know, let's... 
accommodate. Let's accommodate. Right. And and I and and that's something that I I mean you, you might hear it in in, in in my tone right now. I mean that's something that I've been very critical of in the industry, but at the same time I understand the the business behind it. Um, how do you balance that? Because you you know Yeah, I understand your question. You don't really because Israel is a place as you said, people don't come here for vacation. Honestly, I get it. Um, this is not exactly, you know, number one vacation destination. Um, um, and some do. No, some, but the... But the Europeans you know, the, could more than... Europeans do, Jews do. And Jews it's very... Do. No, Jews do, but but again, Jews do, but they come here because because Jews come to Israel. They don't come here because Israel is the, you know, mega... Like, a lot, a lot of a lot of Jews from America, you know, that I know, they come to Israel for the Israel, and then for vacation, they go to Aruba or Hawaii, depends on which coast they live. Yeah. We, I, I think, by the way, I think the Gulf... In the summer, I think we'll see them vacationing here also. Hopefully, it we actually be. we actually talked about this uh, that it wouldn't it be great if you could turn Israel in many ways into just another for certain markets to just another yeah, great Tel Eastern Aviv. Mediterranean Tel destination. Aviv. And in fact, you do. If and, and if you know, uh, I have a colleague. Shout out to Russell Lord who talks about the LGBT community uh, and, and travel from Europe, that. and yeah. and they yeah. and and many of them come here, especially mm -hmm. people that are living in Italy or in France or whatnot. They will come here for a weekend and just uh, and be our, on the yeah. beach. And, and our Bahraini friends, you know, very well traveled. They were saying, "Remember, we're walking in Yafo, we're walking in Tel Aviv." So this feels very much like southern Spain, Italy, Greece mm -hmm. type. You right. know. And I think that's his selling point too, which is like, "All right, you're, you, why do you go to Greece? Okay, well, you, you like the Mediterranean food, you like the olive oil, you like the beaches, you like the warm weather, you like the, the dark skinned tan guys in the yeah, beach I, in that market." And then it's like, "Well, we have those things too." And well, well, that's that's exactly that. That's you're you're hitting the nail on the head, even if you're coming from the side, right. uh, because we have all these so things. So he bent the nail. He, Is it, that, that's it, that's how you bend the nails. How you bend the nails? That you have to take it out now and put it. Yeah. But back to the point. You never worked construction, did you? Not much. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but point uh, you really did hit the nail here because we have all of that i'm not saying that israel is a bad vacation destination there are amazing things here and all the amazing amazing food and amazing hotels and amazing everything amazing beach we have everything that we need for a great vacation uh, but we have something that other places don't and that's why you asked me where do you balance it i think it's already balanced with the fact that the services in terms of tourism are there uh, and they're in a very high you know very high quality and there's a lot of um uh, there's a there, there's a lot of of what, you know what to offer, um, but when people come to Israel, it's really hard to ignore the fact that Israel has something to do with you. If you come, I, I used to say I, I used to say if you come from the Western world, but now it's if you come from the Middle East, or if you come, you know, if you're if you're a Muslim or you're a Christian, or if you come from the Western world and these are your your roots, Israel gives you some sort of a mirror to where you came from. And you can't really ignore it. And even if you don't know where you came from and you're not what, very... What do you mean by that? I mean by that, um, that when you talk about the... His, and even today, uh, when a lot of people consider themselves secular or agnostic, um, when, you know, they, most people come from Christian roots. Uh, so they know that, you know, their parents or their grandparents were religious and they understand that they came, you know, so they grew up Protestant or they grew up Catholic, um, you know, and when we start getting uh, Muslim tourism here, that would be a whole, you know, a, ho a whole other case. Um, but or if you're, you know, if you're Jewish and you come to Israel, when you come to Israel, there is always a historical connection sure. and there is, there is always an, an identity connection. So if I'm, 
uh, if my family was, you know, if I uh, grew up Protestant or my great my grandparents were Protestant, what would they have felt if they were here? Mm-hmm. Or I, you know, all these places have some sort. They have some the, the Judeo Christian culture on the uh, on on the uh, godly side of it came from here. Our morals, everything that we are, it, it all come it, it all originates from here. And whether you want, you know, if if you go, okay, so if you come to Israel, it's a vacation destination. We're very small. If you go to Tel Aviv, you want to, you know, go give a peek to Jerusalem. You can't ignore you know, the magnitude of like religion. It's the and, elephant and, in the room. Yeah, exactly. So you can't really be here and, and not have that. So we have everything that Spain has to offer and everything that, you know, what oh, not everything, but, you know, we have great touristic attractions to offer, but you can't be here without the other part. And to add to that, Israel gets covered in the news, uh, in the world news, disproportionately. Oh, yeah. hundreds of times more than any other country. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a, that's not that's not a secret. Um, but that means that every person that comes here or already comes with a certain perception. Yeah, the pride. We, I mean, when you go and and when you said, okay, you know, people go uh, to tour and whatever. If you go to tour in Ireland, for instance, and you know, you don't even if you heard about the IRA and you heard about you know a little bit about the conflict that goes right. on there, the you don't have any, hardly any. Um, a personal attachment to what's going on there, and you come there with an open mind to sure. listen because it's a conflict that happens somewhere yeah. else to other people, and whatever happens to them doesn't really affect you. Exactly. Uh, but when even, you come, even to you know, I think even people who go to Germany today, including Israelis who go vacation in Germany because it's a pleasant place to be, you know, they're not going for Holocaust tourism. They're not going for, and that was only seventy years ago, and that did affect actually a lot of people beyond the Jewish people, mm-hmm. you know, or like. You know, you know, nobody goes to Spain and says, oh, the Spanish Civil War. You know, I remember the Spanish Civil War. It was only 80 years ago. You know, it's like, yeah. so yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, the Alhambra decree uh, a tour of the yeah. <laughs> of Spain or Portugal. Well, and so that that's a big point on, on why. So people come here with a perception and people, a lot of people, and that's, that was the big surprise. The reason why I went to, to learn uh, critical anti-Semitism and delegitimization of Israel, it was, I was so surprised exactly from what you described. People don't come to Israel with an open mind to listen. People come to Israel... Oh, oh sorry. Some people really do. Um, but a lot of people would come to Israel with a preconceived opinion and with a feeling that they are engaged in some way, even if they don't, they, they can't really explain how or why, that they're engaged in the conflict. Yeah. And that what happens here and whatever choices the Jews make, um, you know, that's important to them. And what happens in Israel important is, is important to people around the world, whether they know how to explain it or not. Um, and that kind of makes it, in, you know, makes Israel into a, a more intense place to visit do you guys ever wonder i always wondered myself what would happen if the world just treated us like like greece like like italy like not lebanon but you know like a country that was just like okay that's just another country and there are people who live there and they do their thing and it's nice and we're not Uh, nice like i I think to a certain extent you see that if you're talking if if you take a a, if you zoom in on, on the individual level and and let's say you know you're in business with different people in different countries and you have a reason to speak with them often. I think you can find that there are a lot of people sure. who do look at where you're from as just, oh, okay, that's Danny's from Israel. Right. Like they're not really going beyond that. No, they thinking. don't care. They don't care. But but but, but like Shaked was saying, they have that already, that package of something about Israel. Like unless you're from, I think people from East Asia like really don't know much about anything about Israel. It's just out of their like, so many a, unless they're, many, unless many, they're many Christian. Don't. Right, look, I, I, I would say that Yes, obviously, if you're coming from the Middle East or if you're coming from the West, where where Judeo Christian uh, uh, 
context is mm. is is the context of your society of your society there's going to be and i'm you know i'm not the expert here in the room but like there's going to be a certain level of having been primed one way or another towards something and of so, course so our is, politics so my are question polarized. is what if people but, didn't but, have but, it? What, but what i would say though is i think that if we were to do you know the the, the pew center constantly polls jews but let's say they were to poll everybody else they do by the way but but about this particular question okay just this question I think that many people would probably answer, I don't care. No, it's true. I'm taking that a step further. I agree with you. I'm taking it a step further. What if, like, literally nobody cared about Israel any more than they care about Ireland, no offense, Irish listeners, or about New Zealand, or or just, like, another random, you know, country of 10 million people in the world? Like, what if, if, if well, what, how would we feel? Because, I mean, a lot of how we talk and feel and do is things that other countries really don't have to deal with because there's no advocacy groups for or against uh, them. You I, know? I'll, I'll say it like this. I think that what you, what we're talking about right now is really a contact, a, a, a matter of, um, of scale. And I'll explain what I mean by that. I think that the people who could have been impacted by the story of the Jewish people or adjacent to the Jewish story to have been impacted one way or another by our experience or collective history or actions here in the past 70 or 120 years or whatever it might be uh, are great and many and those people have allies and they have people that are you know on, on any side there are people that are supporters and detractors um, so so the scale of it is quite large and then of course it's disproportionately covered in the media because of the fact that it sells and then there's an, an interest in it and and, and whatnot um, but it's but it's a scaled issue so for example if you were to talk about Ireland or if you were to talk about New Zealand there are ethnic groups and their supporters who are pro and against those countries, but they're much, much, much smaller in number and power. Right. So you could find Maori separatist groups in New Zealand that are very can anti... You? Th- absolutely, you can. Okay. Th- that are that are against yeah, the New Zealand state. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You can find a lot of people in England that are that have a lot of opinions about the Irish Free State. I'm saying that that's in England. Like you, you won't find like an American college campus people protesting for or against New Zealand or Ireland I mean, or Spain. Or do you whatever. remember when we were at AU? There was, uh, I mean, yeah, you had you had your run of the mill like Free Palestine stuff, but like you also had like the people who were protesting Burma a lot. Do you remember the Burma people? Yeah, where are they now? You don't see Burma anymore, right. but there were they were there. I mean, like. You had protest, other saying, stuff, like the Tibet stuff. I'm saying you have, you have all this. It's, it's not nearly on a scale. What would happen to us, the Israelis, if people just treated us like another country? How would that change us? I actually, um, I'm, I'm going to be terrible here, and I'm going to say that I don't really, um, at, the, at this point, I don't really know if, if, this an, if this question can be answered. Yeah. Because I, I know that the experience for me as an Israeli working with foreigners all the time, traveling, the wandering Jewess, I've traveled a lot. Um, what I've encountered when people understand that I'm a Jew from Israel, I mean, it, it, it formed everything that I am. I went to school, you know, pursuing, trying to understand why things are happening the way they are. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that it can change also because what you're saying is, is, is can we take the root of all of Western you know, yeah. society of, yeah. of, of, of and, and say, can Western society not look back at itself all the time? Because when they look at what's going on here, they're basically looking back, they're looking back in the mirror. This yeah. is where everything came from. Sure. I mean, you, you, you can't, I don't think it's possible of like saying, take yeah. the, take the root and say, you know, what happened if you didn't have a root, you'd fall. Sure. 
I don't know. But yeah, I mean, look, people don't look at Greece anymore, even though it's, you know, the modern philosophy and, and, and democracy and all that. People don't look at the Vatican or I'll, Italy. I'll posit something root, that'll the be root, con- the root of I'll European po- Christianity. I will posit something that will be controversial. Do it. Uh, I think that if the world were to suddenly. Oh, wait, are we saying that from the onset the world would never have treated us differently? Or are you saying if suddenly Israel just oh, became suddenly, like... Suddenly. Okay, so so the, to my point... If the world if, just if, said, if, okay, Israel's just... like If, if, the, if, world if the world suddenly, would have taken what Herzl would have wanted, where it's just Israel's just another country, the Jews are just another people. I think that... I think that this is going to start by being kind of... Um, what's the word? Um... I'll just I'll just start and we'll see where, where I'm going with this. I think that I think that if Israel were to suddenly be widely accepted by everybody in the world, all over the place, I think that this country's societal and political structures would de- be demolished. They would self destruct essentially. It, it, it would not the culture of political victimhood in this country, and the and the and the and the and the, the Israeli identity as a uh, many in many in many ways, the result of the pressures of outside hatred towards the Jews. If suddenly released, and 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 without somebody to say, let me point that an 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 an, an, an other that uh, that that doesn't like us. I don't know if the existing power structure here would have a chance. Yeah. I'm not saying that we would go away. I'm saying I don't think that Israel, as you know it, would be able to yeah. handle that sort of a stress or or. In, lack in of reality, lack of stress. Lack of stress. It was stress on them because they would now no longer have a raison d'être. They would no longer have exactly. the reason to say that they're protecting the or defending the Jewish people. Yeah. However, uh, I think that, and and you see this kind of where where in, in your work, we were trying to go there in many ways with people that you would once assume would have been our detractors that are now our friends, and I think that it's tearing down in many ways and in in a, in a small way i mean because it's we're not talking about the whole world but we're talking about places in the world uh where you can say no you can't demonize this people like this because in reality they don't hate us the way you assume that they hate us it's very different and maybe maybe your walls are too high and i understand why they're high yeah, yeah. but uh, but but it breaks it down and i think that that uh to a certain extent you know i i find people i was having a conversation with somebody that somebody the other day uh and and they'll remain nameless but but they but they were saying you know, i have no interest to go to dubai she said to me, I have no interest heard, to go there. I've heard people say that. That's, that's ridiculous to me. It's, it can't be real. It can't be real. There's, like She cannot conceptually understand that there are people in, in the Muslim Middle East that can't fit into this mold of detractors right. of Israel. I can actually say that I, I, I relate to that in a very psychological and illogical way. I acknowledge the fact that it's illogical. I would love to go to Dubai. I just put it out there. Uh, and to Bahrain. Uh, but since I was young... Um, I can't and I don't want to go to Germany. Mm. And I have this, and I, and, and, and I, I understand mentally, and I've met with German people abroad. Some of them, by the way, I had some anti-Semitic incidents with. Some of them were amazing people and we became great friends. Um, not in the, some of my best friends are, but like we really did become great friends. But uh, something about watching, you know, Holocaust television adjusted for kids since I was six year old, six sure. years old growing up in Israel, which is what you do, like all the broadcasting stops and uh, in the Holocaust Memorial Day and you watch nothing but, uh, chi- you know, children adjusted um, Holocaust yeah. TV shows. Um, I can't listen. And I, I just I, I, there's something in me that really doesn't want to go there. And I was there because uh, I didn't have a choice. We, we emergency landed in Germany <laughs> uh, and I had and I tried to see how uh. I would cope. 
Pause. <laughs> There's a story there. No, <laughs> there was a storm coming back from uh, from Ireland, and a we had a storm of anti-Semitism. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> there were flying swastikas all over the place. <laughs> the lightning was in the shape of an SS. Yeah. No, no, you're kidding. But I was actually in Ireland. I was taken to visit this artist's home. Uh, very crazy person, and was so happy there was a Jew in his home uh, that he took her to see his collection of swastikas, trying to explain to me that there was nothing relating to Nazism and. Oh. Oh, collection, yeah, which yeah. is were they Indian? It doesn't. Were they like Sanskrit? When a Jew comes, when, when like a Jew original? comes in, when the Jew comes into your home, you don't first thing I take know. them to the swastika cabinet, which was there, by the way. There was a swastika cabinet. Yeah. You're um, a, you're a vegan. <laughs> check out my meat closet. Exactly, you know, it's exactly, like, it's exactly what yeah. it was. It's exactly what it was. Um, but back from that <laughs> from that experience, we, I mean, just fittingly enough, we emergency landed in Germany because there was a storm. So, uh, now, so now you owe the Germans your lives. I think that debt it was settled long, long, long ago. <laughs> they're still in debt. They're still in debt. They're We're still, fine. But yeah, I had to go for work but, to but Germany a couple times. That's true. You did go to Germany but for work. When I when I was there, I just I, you know it was really hard for me. It was it was hard for me to talk to people. It was hard. I mean, I I, I can't. How long were you there? It was an emergency landing. No, it was like just like twenty four hours. But uh, but but I felt it. I felt it, and I felt the same thing when I went to Poland. Even though some of the time I had fun, but other you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a construct. Very, yeah, very There's much. There's nothing so. logical about that. Nothing. Sure, there is. Uh, uh, no, I mean, it's not. It's been seventy years. It's not the same Germans. Many of those are still alive. It's still a social construct. Everything's a social construct. I know. COVID's a social construct. The whole concept that Israel Let's is special open it right or not now. special is a social construct. It is, but it's a social construct. Meaning if you come with an open mind and you say, I'm going to go here because I would like to embrace the fact that it is 2021 and I'm going to come here and listen to these people because it's an intellectual exercise. And I want to listen it's and try easy. to understand. I'm and I'm not, no, I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying that you do it and I think that I think that people that are coming here from the UAE and Bahrain, they're doing that well, right I, now. I don't have resentment. I just don't want to go. It's like it's not that I hate Germany. It's not that I think that all the Germans hate us. You don't uh, have an interest. No, I, I, it's it's not even that I don't have an interest. It's that it's it's a little more than I don't it's have an version. interest. It's I have some sort of of, of um, uh, like repulsion from yeah. that. So this woman I was talking to about the golf, her hers wasn't so much that it was. This is bullshit. It I've can't heard, I've be. Heard I've heard that. It's a. It's a. It, the, no. It's fake. It's like, okay, you found like 15 Arabs that like the Jews in Israel <laughs> and you put those people up. But in reality, no. Like, and, and no. And I'm, and I'm explaining to her, like, you know, you're, you're kind of wrong and you should go and experience this. This is a person that's very open-minded about a lot of other things, but she just can't get past. Yeah, look, it's hard. For, for, for those of us who grew, you know, the, 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 the work I'm trying to do, you know, it's, it's, it's building this people-to-people stuff. It's... Most of the work, just numerically wise, but most of the work is is you know trying to promote normalization of Israel and the Abraham Accords in the Arab world, and they've you know but we we have to take on ourselves that we here in Israel have also experienced seventy years of a certain paradigm about who the Arabs are, right. about this concept that you know and and let's not kid ourselves. There's many 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 most Arabs are still very anti-Israel. Right. But um, no, we, we also need to break down our barriers. I was going to say, though, about her, and I think this is kind of going towards the end of my, my analyzing the situation with her, is like, I, I don't judge her in, that, in the fact sure. that I'm blaming her. I think that she's a victim. Of course. I think that there are, this conflict has a lot of victims. I, I and think, I think that yeah. that psychology is the result of a long, long, Absolutely. long, long, long time of not being able to see beyond 
and and, be, and being fed only and, a certain narrative right. on the news and being told that these people are your enemies and, and that's the same thing that our Emirati and Bahraini and other friends you know have come to a realization of is oh what we've been told all our lives clearly isn't true or clearly it's only one small piece of the story and there's a lot more to it and can you really blame someone I, I got stuck I, I kind of comically posted it on Facebook last night uh, my my boss asked me to come to a meeting in East Jerusalem. And I didn't know why. There was an actual reason for it, but I didn't understand why. And I'm driving around, literally just a kilometer past the old city. And you're not in Israel anymore. Like, yes, that's where Israeli police is. You're not in Israel anymore. I actually had to stop and ask for directions. And the people I stopped on the street didn't speak Hebrew. And mm-hmm. he tells me, and luckily I speak enough Arabic to, to be able to ask where a hotel is. But, you know, you're not in Israel anymore. And, and you know, I don't blame them for what they they think about us, and some of it might be justified, and some of it's not justified, and some of it might be blown out of proportion. But that you know we're shaped by what's around us. Yeah, and I think it's also the um, something that really bothers me and bothers me for for years now is the language barrier. Mm. As you say, you're not in you know you're not in Kansas anymore, you're not in Israel anymore, yeah, yep. um, or, or in the Israel that you live in. Because yeah. and, and and in Jerusalem, it's like all you need to do is cross a few streets yeah, to be in a, compl- in a in a place where you where you can't be understood with yeah. your native tongue. And the fact, and I, I was actually speaking to some um, uh, to some members of the Bahraini delegation about that when you know we just kind of hung out in a in a more more chill uh, atmosphere, and we we talked about the fact that the fact that we don't study Arabic in schools. And that Hebrew isn't taught. I mean, there are three languages here. We all study English yep. uh, to a certain extent, but uh, the fact that that we don't understand the language. So I know that I studied. You know, I, I went and studied Arabic. My Arabic is horrible, but I can understand because I was walking around the old city and the Muslim quarter, and it's a very scary feeling uh, when all I know about you know Arabs is you know I, I knew a little more, but you know watching the news and sure. and 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 then you walk around the city and you don't know what people say behind your back uh, or what people talk when they talk next to you. And it's very, you know, it's made me very nervous. And, and now, you know, when I can understand what's being told, like, yeah. a, a language is, is a gate for, for a culture. And then we can understand each other and we can, und- we can also contain how holistic the whole thing is. And it's not, you know, it's not the stereotypical way, which I'm sure, by the way, if I would have spoke, you know, if, if I spoke German, I, you know, I would have had a much different experience, right, but, right. but, you know, and, and I'm, I'm aware of that. It's not logical. It's a construct. It's exactly what you said. Uh, and the language I think is, is a, is an important gate for that. And that's a big mistake that we're not speaking yeah. both languages here. I, I want to jump to something else unless you got anything else on this jump. Point. You call yourself the wandering Jewess. I do. Where'd you get that name? Um, so I got the name because ever since I can remember, I knew that if I had to take a job where I go to the office every day, go to the same place every day, I just, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't survive. I don't want to get into violent, violent uh, descriptions, but I wouldn't survive. Um, and I always had from my dad and from my grandpa, I always had this passion for, uh, just moving around and I, I'm happiest when I'm on my way somewhere mm. to, to, to get somewhere. All this doesn't mean that I don't, don't love my home. Uh, <laughs> I love to stay home, but just, I, I, I feel most comfortable when I'm on the road. Interesting. Um, and I feel like it really changes you as a person when you are able to move from place to place, adjust all the time. Uh, and when I started looking into that, you say about the wandering Jewess, so it, it obviously came from the myth of the wandering Jew. Mm. And the myth of the wandering Jew, for those who are less familiar with it, uh, is 
Uh, there's basically like a, a thread of myth that goes through history. My tour guide is coming out. Um, but there's a thread of, of a myth that goes through history um, uh, that kind of started with Christianity. Oh, there was a Jew that was cursed by Jesus um, when he was on his way to uh, the cross. Uh, and, he, and the Jew kind of uh, cursed at Jesus and Jesus told him, you know, go, move on. Uh, and that Jew, basically, the, the the legend tells that that Jew is uh, ever since just wandering the world, and he can never die. All he wants is to die, is to die and get the sweet redemption of of death. Uh, and he can't. He just has to wander around the world. Um, and once every and the, the legend and, and in Mark Twain's book, like it, it, it actually travels through you know Christian literature all the way until Mark Twain's kind of when he came here. He told that you know he was told the legend of how he comes back every fifty years to collect rent from his you know from his home, uh, and then he goes to the Church of Holy Sepulcher, you know, yearning for the 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 grave. Uh, and then he he walks away, and that legend is actually a that metaphor. Make, that would make a ridiculously cool Netflix show. It really would, um, but but you know this story is basically a metaphor for you know the wandering Jews yeah. of not having a home and not right. being able to get you know and from the from the Christian point of view not being able to get redemption. Right, sure. Um, but when you look at it from the Jewish point of view, Mark Twain is you know later he also brings up another question and he says okay. Um, all the nations you, you talked before about Greece. Why, you know, don't we look back at Greece and Rome as like? And first of all, in Rome, we do look as like the, you know, the gate for our culture. Um, but he says all the all the other nations they're gone. Uh, I talk about it in, in in my book, by the way. Like all the other nations, they're gone. Um, but the Jews survived. Why are the why is the Jew immortal? Why, you know, why does he not, you know, why did all the other nation crumble into dust and there's nothing left of them? Uh, and new nations come in and they crumble into dust too. But the Jews are still as, you know, as vibrant uh, and alive and they keep on reinventing themselves. And I think the answer to that is actually in the myth of the wandering Jew. I think uh, one of the, um, if you have to point out on the secret of the Jewish survival and there are all sorts of theor uh, theories on that, I think wandering is a big part of it. The fact that we constantly have to move, the fact that we are never comfortable, uh, the fact that we are always quote unquote persecuted, it keeps us on our toes. It, sure. keep, it keeps us changing, keeps us thinking. Uh, and I think I fell in love with that concept. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a very long answer for a very short question. How does having a homeland change that? Um, it changes it and it doesn't uh, in a in a weird way. You know that in Israel we have nine million people, and there were also in twenty eighteen nine nine million departures out of the country. Israelis, you think, in, that, you think we love to travel more than other people? I mean, with, with you know the the we do have island fever, considering yeah, our you know. <laughs> there was, I was just thinking about that. Like yeah. we were not blessed with a lot of a country. No, we really weren't. <laughs> um, we were blessed with a country, but it's very small and stifling. Yeah, well, you know, we never had a homeland, you know, a homeland that we owned uh, for more than 120 years in a row. So true, we really, true, true. so we really don't know how this would change things because we haven't been around for more than, you know, we have less than 80 years in this one. So, yeah. you know, we, we don't know if we're going to survive, you know, if we're going to break the 120, <laughs> you know, record. Um, Spe speaking of, mm -hmm. you said you're 10th generation Israeli. I am. Explain. I am. Okay, so I brought something cool, and I'll show it to you. Um, Is it ice cream? I'm sorry, no. That was a dad joke. It really was. I just want ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, 
back in the day when I was a kid, I went to my dad and I asked him, you know, because we were talking about ethnicities and where you come from. And I asked him, you know, dad, where like, where did our family come from? And my dad told me we were uh, 10 generations in Israel. Wow. And that sounded very weird. Even when I was a kid, I understood that most people came here, you know. One, two. Yeah, three, four generations, not more than that. My, right. my other side of the family is four generations here. What, 10 generations just didn't make sense. Sure. And my dad pulled out, pulled out this book. Wow. And this book is called 10 Generations in the Land of Israel. So there's a, there's a previous one. Can we hold this up to the... To the camera, yeah. To the camera. Yep. So that's basically the Solomon family. Solomon family came, that's the family that I come from. Yoel Moishe Solomon, for people who know Israeli uh, history. Yep. So he's an uncle. I'm, I'm from the other side of the, I'm from another daughter. Okay. Um, but I, I don't know who this figure is. Explain, please. Yoel Moishe, um, I mean, Yoel Moishe Solomon was one of the, um, he was he was famous for getting uh, getting outside of um, the, the walls of Jerusalem. He started Nachlat Shiva. Okay. Uh, so he broke out of the walls of the old city. And he also is the founder of Petah Tikva. Oh, so, cool. uh, yeah, cool. so my family is from the founders of Petah Tikva. We're really sorry. We, it really got out of hand. <laughs> we didn't see it, you know, go this way. <laughs> Petah Tikva, which is a, a suburb of Tel Aviv, known as the, the mother of... Uh, colonies the, in of Israel. Colony, of colonies, set- of cities in yeah. Israel. Like, it was the fr- one of the first modern city mm. settlements in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it really got out of hand. It's it's enormous now. It's just yeah. <laughs> it's offensive traffic. Yeah, <laughs> bothers people. It's yeah, just the whole the center of just the country. All the hospitals, the traffic jam. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's um, very cool. So that's about your family. So that's about my family. the The founding father of the family came with uh, Aliyat Agra. So he, he studied with Agon from okay. Vil- with the Gaon of Vilna. Uh, this back. W- this was a major religious leader in what the eighteen seventies. The the eighteenth century, the end of the eighteenth century. Seventeen yeah. um, ninety. In in uh, Vilnius, in uh, Lithuania, yeah. Um, so he studied with him, and he was uh, he came here with the immigration wave. But what was different about him and was very special is that he didn't like the way that he, he basically he came because there was this prediction that the Messiah is going to come in in 1840, uh, and the Jews came over to prepare the land for the Messiah. Got it. Uh, but he didn't like the fact that Jews here were collecting money abroad. Uh, so he kind of kind of revolutionized the whole manner of how people lived in Jerusalem of how Jews lived in Jerusalem uh, and, you know, and got them all to kind of get, you know, jobs and trades. And, uh, and another special thing is that when he came to Jerusalem is um, Ashkenazis, Ashkenazi Jews were banned from the city because they had a debt. And for oh. 120 years, Ashkenazis were not allowed to get into Jerusalem. Into, the, into what was the walled city of Jerusalem? The, the old city of Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. They weren't allowed within the walls because of the debt. And he, Dressed himself as a uh, as as a Sephardic Jew, studied Arabic, became friends with everyone, uh, and eventually and tried like, with. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> well, he tried with the Ottomans; it didn't work. And when Muhammad Ali conquered the land, he um, kind of got not, not the boxer, yeah. the, the Egyptian uh, warlord, not the boxer. Well, uh, too many books. You can read about it in the book because I wrote about it in the book, oh, very so cool. you can show that. So yeah, um, but the cool thing is that yeah, that's secret Israel. Uh, but the cool thing is that We're my dad... We're going to get to that in a second. Yeah. yeah so that my dad uh, actually pulled out the book and he showed it to me and all the generations are actually written inside the book. So my name also made it and my oh, sister. Cool. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. So you see these, all these um, little um, taps. notes. Yeah, yeah. Taps. So that's like all the chain of generation because if you open it and look, you'll see that there are like just names and names of people. Very cool. That's yeah. crazy. Like coded by... Can you imagine one day, like 250 years from now, somebody writes a book like... The progeny of Dan Pfefferman. 
Mm. Of Donald. Donald. <laughs> Donald. <laughs> Donald. <laughs> Not they're Donald. sitting around in the podcast. Oh, with, Donald. With their yeah. AI robot. <laughs> and they're talking about. <laughs> Could very much Dan be. Dan Yeah. It's a tenth generation. So the Aliyat Agrah, that's an interesting uh, wave of immigration to Israel. Because, because you know, uh, you guys know, our listeners might not. Um, the story of the founding of Israel and the waves of immigration are mostly told through the story of the uber-secular uh, European Jews. And, and there were two groups of Jews who don't fit that mold. And one that's religious, in fact, ultra-religious mm-hmm. Jews who came from like this rabbi and other, other waves. Um, and the other one was, of course, the Mizrahi, the Jews of Arab lands, who also, you know, like the Yemenites, Yemenites yeah. who, who came here, or the Sephardic Jews who had been living here for hundreds and hundreds of years. Who came after the Alhambra degree, after the yeah. Inquisition. Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, the the classic story is that of the, the secular educated European Jew who came to farm and settle, but there were other stories um, that we need to take into account. Yeah, and it's very interesting because a lot of the times, you know, when I talk to people, um, then you know the concept is okay. Jews, you're you're new settlers to the land. To, to the land, um, and what a lot of people don't know is that, well, for instance, my you know my family came here in uh, 1811, uh, and a lot of uh, not not to say you know mine is older or mine is bigger, but you know a lot of uh, Palestinians actually came to the land from Egypt in 1830, right. uh, 1831 right. with Muhammad with Ibrahim Basha and Muhammad Ali with the Egyptian conquerors. Um, so we're, you know, we're pretty much here from about sure. the same time. So, and then, you know, so I'm, I'm sort of a Palestinian Jew, if you want, cause sure. I originated, you know, to, to the region of Palestine. Um, and it's interesting because it, it actually happened to me walking around the old city and meeting, um, sh- like old shop owners. And I would tell them about, you know, my family and they would say that they remember stories about it wow. and we would exchange, you know, stories and say, you know, that he remembers my, you know, he remembers the debt. He remembers the anger. He rem- like, you know, like just stories. It's crazy. That, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And actually it's also interesting that, um, my, that, that grand, great, 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 you know, 10 generations ago, he was, because he brought the Jews back to Jerusalem, um, he was murdered for it. Be- oh yeah. Because, um, basically the debt, you know, it was 120 years since the debt, and the land that he took back was a waqf. It was a Jewish waqf. Okay, um, yeah. So it was uh, uh, um, unlegally, uh, illegally taken. Um, and when they got back, the people that you know had to evacuate it were very angry and they murdered him. And he's considered to be um, uh, the first victim of modern Zionism, even though modern Zionism you know, started... Hadn't been coined yet. Yeah, it started at 1882 and he was murdered at 1851. Interesting. Uh, so like a Yom like he's number one? He's number one. Wow. He's that's, number one. That's pretty cool, Yichus. Yeah, that's a little Yichus. Wow. If, if anyone listening for a Shidduch, so that's, that's, my, <laughs> that's my Yichus. <laughs> the first murder. <laughs> my great, 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 the great, 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 great grandfather was the, <laughs> the first, first Zionist. The, the yeah. first dead Zionist. The first dead Zionist. <laughs> oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> well, what's that new uh, podcast? People of Dead Jews or whatever? Dead yeah. Jews, Dana yeah. Horn. There you go. Um, so people would have loved your great, 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 great. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, a good Jew is a... D- no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're not supposed to internalize the anti-Semitism. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us about this book. Wait, wait, wait. Before wait. you tell us about the book. Before yeah, I want to get to the book, mm-hmm. but, but you, that book was written in, in a particular context. Before oh, yeah. that context, <laughs> you were wandering. As the wandering Jewess. So where, where have your travels taken you? Because I get the feeling that maybe and this, this was a, the first connection that we had beyond this is our tour guide. So tell us about the writing of the book before we talk about the book. 
I'm confused. Where did you write the book? Where did I write the book? Okay, so uh, as for where my travel my travels took me, I mean, it started with traveling in Israel, but very quickly I started, you know, just wandering. I, I, ha I have a thing for America. Um, it's just, and, and all of it. I, I really like exploring, culturally exploring America. Canada, not so much. Um, but I, mean, I don't know. I tried. Uh, it just, it, I don't know why it fascinates me less. Because they're I, Tory I pigs. <laughs> and I think it's really cold. It's also really, really cold. I've never been to Canada. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's like bizarro America. Bizarro. <laughs> it's America, but it's not. Like they, there's a, they spell words differently, and the money looks different, and there's a different accent. And I just, I just finished watching Schitt's Creek, mm -hmm. you know, and it took me a, like a year to realize it was a Canadian show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, you're fine. Uh, so I did uh, a good few road trips in America. I uh, got to um, thanks to my family. Also got to go to the Caribbean. My American family vacations there uh, every year. Yeah, I have a very generous family. So I got to the Caribbean. I don't think a lot of Israelis go to the Caribbean because nope. <laughs> it's very expensive. Um, so I ended up there. I went to I've uh, been to a few places in Europe. Been to Egypt. Actually went all the way down to uh, almost Swarm. to the southern border of Sudan. That was an incredible trip. Wow. Um, yeah. So that that was. Oh, uh, just before covid uh so basically like the west has been my my friend and then egypt and i was planning on going also east but then all, all hell broke loose uh in the form of covid19 so uh, that's pretty much it but my my wanderings actually brought me my so the the my last um my, my last big hoe was to go to the united states when i felt that things were tightening uh tightening up around here um, I had, I always had, you know, I, I, I divide my time between tour guiding in Israel and speaking. And when, uh, you know, tour guiding was no longer a thing. And after the second lockdown, I, I became pretty pessimistic after once the second lockdown started, I, I pretty much, you know, I, um, thought this wasn't going to. So before the first lockdown, you, you, you were talking like February, maybe the end of January, mid February comes along and you get the, the feeling like, yeah, I should probably get going if I'm going to go somewhere now because uh, otherwise. No, no. So, um, so COVID start hit in March, 2020 and my plan, I've, I graduated my master's on January, 2020. So I was, you know, waiting through, I just traveled abroad because February is low season for tourism. So it's a uh, Shaked travel time, which is great because the flights are so cheap. Anyway, true. uh, that's, that's some of the perks of being a tour guide. Um, and then in March 2020, I had groups lined up, you know, for a good few months. And after these few months, you know, when low season hits again, I was going to go to the States and, and speak. And then, you know, COVID hit and all hell broke loose. And um, during the second lockdown, when we were trying to still trying to figure, you know, to figure out where things are going, I realized that they're going to get worse, meaning Israel shut down for departures and arrivals. Yeah. Uh, and when I heard that was going to happen, I just I wrapped everything up and I left and I was going to go for a few months and then come back. But uh, Israel um, shut down, you know, was locked down for arrivals as well. So I found myself stuck in the United States and I ended up um, in a ranch in Nebraska. Uh, I have a great friend whom I met. Ow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I was all over the place. But uh, when I when I got stuck is uh, I have a friend whom I met going to see going to watch a concert uh, of a band that I like in Ireland. They're an American band, but I went to Ireland because I was broke at the time. Which one? Uh, home free. Home free. They do country a cappella. That's awesome. They're so great. <laughs> they're, that down. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're uh, they're really great. It's like pentatonics, but country music. Okay, okay I could That's get into that. Kicks ass. I'm yeah. gonna listen to them for sure. <laughs> yeah, Cause, yeah. Because one of the things I dislike most about country music is some of the instruments that they bring in beyond the guitar. Ding ding ding. No, so they do uh, purely beatbox, and they're 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 sharp. They're super. Country sharp. or bluegrass. 
No, they do country. Okay. Uh, but not just they, they actually their variety is really big. They they do a lot of covers to a lot of you know right. a lot of music and so they're 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 great. We'll check it out. Um yeah, so I went to Dublin to see their show. As one does. As one does. <laughs> uh and I met uh a lady there who like follows them all around. Th- th- this man has like a really hardcore, you know, of, of fans that kind of follows them around uh because they're home free, so the f- fans are called home fries. Um <laughs> which my friend has that on her license plate on her big truck. In the ranch and just a home fry um and we met we became friends we stayed in touch and she owns she and her husband they own a great place in nebraska they own a cattle ranch and they also own it's like a small town they own the local uh, gas station slash mini mart slash bar slash steakhouse best steaks in nebraska called reg's seven mile steakhouse uh if anyone is going on the 81 <laughs> and 64 in nebraska <laughs> I, I mean i was fed so many steaks there it's it's gonna i mean i can't it's so good. It's it was, beef. and and actually, my dad used to do like like beef catering, and we are we were known for having the best meat in the country. Um, my my dad, you know, um, may rest in peace. But like, but back then we had great meat, and and I'm sorry, Dad, if oh, if, you, if, you if, if you're if you're flipping, no, you know, in your you grave. Can't. But like, but this was just so good. <laughs> Nebraska beef is known. The, the Angus beef that comes Omaha from Steaks. Omaha Steak Company, which... Uh, Reg is Seven Mile Steaks. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where they get their... their the Omaha Steaks was, he's was the original mail order steak I, company. I, I, knew, I, knew, I, I knew the owner. Um, my in-laws are friends with that family. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because mm-hmm. I literally, you know, uh, my wife is from Nebraska. Right. She's from Omaha. And right. so you mentioned it and I was like, what? And, and we were just there in August uh, for two weeks in Omaha. Like we go almost every year. So mm-hmm. it's a very... Very small world. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it, it, it was so funny when, because I went on the bus and I said that I wrote the book when I was in Nebraska. And all of a sudden, Dan says, uh, we were in, I, I was uh, in Nebraska exactly in the time that I was there. We were just there um, at the same time and didn't know. Uh, but yeah, so she was great because when I got stuck and I didn't have anywhere to go, uh, she took me in. Uh, my friend took me in. Thank you, Bonnie. You're amazing. <laughs> uh, and I just, I sat there in the, in the ranch and had to, um, yeah, I had a few talks lined up and, and figure out what to do. And all of a sudden I had all that time, uh, all this time to just sit and, and, and think, you know, just what's my passion? <laughs> uh, what's my passion? And there is a thing about tour guides where, you know, for a lot of people, COVID has been an opportunity because people were stuck in like jobs they don't like, and then they lost these jobs and they could actually sit down and say, Oh, what, what is my dream? But for tour guides in Israel, usually it was like, this was my dream. <laughs> what, yeah. what happened? <laughs> so I was already living my dream uh, and then it stopped. And then I, but, but I thought, okay, so, you know, tour, being a tour guide is the dream, but um, it, gets, it gets old after a while because you end up going to the same old places. Uh, not because, and not, and not that they're, they're any less beautiful and it's important to go to all, sure. the, all these places. There's so many places to see and so many places that are important that A, you never get to see everything. Right. Um, and B, as a, as a, you know, I always got sad when my, my, when tourists would come to me and would say, oh, what's your favorite place in Israel? And I would, you know, at, when I was starting, I would tell them what's my favorite place in Israel, which was usually not on the itinerary. Uh, and they would say, oh, can we go there? And since uh, I'm sure you know, I mean, they, they said, oh, they, they would call the agent and ask if they can change the itinerary you can't change the itinerary well, you can definitely change the itinerary <laughs> yeah but it's just lazy <laughs> <laughs> that too and, um, and this is for the record this is not me i will definitely change your itinerary but all those other people 
the, no, the but other all the other agents. people. No, but you know, an itinerary is, is like a contract, and you can't always make the adjustments that you want it's to. It's hard do. too. It's I mean, hard, especially yeah. you know, if it's geographical, you know, it's like, oh, I'll go to this direction instead of that direction. But it's like, oh, well, let's go to a different site in the different city at a different time. It's hard. It's hard to. It's uh, a big puzzle. Something you just said totally resonated with me, though, and and that is that you know this is a small country and sites or places that we have you know that we know are so potently powerful for our for for, for you know people that come here for the first time mm-hmm. or that don't live here and that get to see it only a few times mm-hmm. uh we see them all the time that's right and and it's not that you burn out of it but there's something there that's lost when when you begin to start taking things like that for granted and something for me that i th- I, I think about this a lot lately and, and specifically during COVID when, when I was essentially for the longest time just stuck in Israel because that's where I, I got stuck here and it was like, okay, so now your travel experiences are just in Israel. But I also work in travel, so I'm already involved with all these sites all the time. And it's that I, if if I could get one feeling back from like a different time in life, mm-hmm. it would be to go back, you know, having having made Aliyah to this country, you know, 18 years ago, God, it's like, I would love to have the feeling of seeing these sites again for the first time. Yeah. When I was wowed the hell over by everything. Yeah. And like there's the feeling of like, oh my God, I'm climbing Masada. And now it's like, oh my God, how many, <laughs> con- how many times you've climbed Masada? Like, like really, oh, how many look, times you've climbed? Sun- another sunrise. <laughs> how many t- legit question. How many times do you think that you've climbed or been on Masada? L- legit question. Do you really think I kept count? No. <laughs> Hundreds. Oh, yeah. For the listeners, yeah, hundred. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, like, just to put it in perspective, like, this is like a a life changing, pivotal moment in terms of Jewish identity forming mm-hmm. for a young uh, man or woman. It's also an insane piece of history for people who are not Jewish, and an I mean, insane yeah. piece of history. Yeah. And like, you've been there a hundred times. It's like I don't care where it is. Like, it could be, it could be like, you know, the Holy of Holies in the Temple in Jerusalem. And mm-hmm. it's like, all right, you've been there a couple hundred times. Like, I don't know. yeah, and so it's it's a, so but it's sad. Yeah. Like, I want to feel that again. Exactly. So for me, it was a combination of both. I mean, it, it's exactly what you're describing. Because I, when I think about the places that made me feel this way, because it made me sit down and think, you know, having all that time and not being able to work, you sit down and think, okay, why did I start doing it in the first place? Is it really what I want to do? And and you know, and it's a great that you have that opportunity to to do that. And right. I and I realize, yeah, it, it is really what I want to do because. I'm still excited by it. True, I'm not extremely excited going to Masada in a thousand time, but 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 Israel still gets me going. Israel still excites me, and it's still, it still it it lights. I mean, it lights a fire under my ass and and in my eyes. It's just I can't I can't even yeah. you know, I, get, I get excited just talking about it. Um, but I I started thinking. So what you know what gets me excited? Um, and what gets me excited is those those hidden jams, these places that I only get to go to when I'm alone, uh, or when I, you know, when I just can't hold myself. But there was a story there that I that I feel like really touched me, um, and I and I keep going back there. And I always go there alone. I hardly ever get to bring people there, or if there is a really close friend, I'll take them there. Um, but I never get to bring my groups there. And that's another thing, what, because they're they're usually not um, quote unquote important enough. And it's true, they're not important enough because if you have a limited you have you have limited time in Israel, you're going to go to certain places. Um, but it also kind of made me sad because if you want to know the secret jams of Israel, all the places that make me excited, you would open some sort of you know boring like history or or tour guide book or something, and you would read about it a little bit. And it's all it's all so dry. <laughs> Um, and when you come sure. and when you come back from a tr- trip to Israel, 
okay, so have you been to Masada? Oh, I've been to Masada, but you, what, what you really want to tell is, oh, there was, they, they took us to this one place. I'm sure you haven't been there. They took us to this one place where ABC, you know, an incredible story that happened there. And that's really unique. And, and people like really take that home with them and they'll always remember that, you know, that experience. Um, after years of guiding, that's, you know, when I keep in touch with my tourists, that's what I hear. And that, that's sort of what, you know, I, I felt like I still want to give people Israel. I still, I, I still want to do it. I still want to tell the stories. And this time I have the opportunity to tell the stories that get me excited, that really get me going, and that most people actually really don't know about, would probably never get to visit these sites unless, you know, they make, you know, make, make a real point out of it. And there is no reason why these incredible stories that get me so excited and get my heart pumping, you know, and my blood rushing, not going to do that for others. Um, and that's that's how the book was born. So I sat in Nebraska and the ranch and um, just look at the endless, you know, land. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Ad- adored the fact that there is so much land so there. Much land. We can just move Israel into Nebraska and no one would even notice. Nope. No. <laughs> just like five farmers might be, you know, a little, a little edgy. But, uh, Do you know that Israel? The colonizing Jews of Nebraska. No, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a With their state, illegal occupation of a cornfield. It's a state maybe 10 times the size of Israel with a tenth of the people. Yeah. And, and most of those live in Omaha. Do, do, do you know that, that Israel is 3.2% the, um, the territory of Texas? Yeah, that makes sense. 3.2% yeah, of Texas. Yeah. <laughs> but Texas is massive even by American standards. Texas, so is Nebraska. I mean, all the no, western like states Texas is, the western is states like are orders of magnitude yes. larger than yes, other states. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's the story. So Wait, it's funny. Can I see it? Yeah. Let's see the book. I like the cover. So, what was your process? You just like sat down and thought of what are my favorite places, and how does a project like this work? Because, in the face of things, you know, I'll sit down and write down places that are like, you know, making a list of different sites that Mm -hmm. I would love to go to. Mm -hmm. Then you should write this. You should write a book like this too. But this is like you're (laughs) no, it's you worked with a publisher. (laughs) Did you do this on your own? No. Okay, so uh, here comes a shout out to um to my my ex boyfriend and still a very good friend. Um, Seth Stavala, uh, who uh, when when we met, he told me he wanted to be an author. I never knew that I wanted to be an author. I thought I, I thought I did, but I, I knew it was going to be way back when. Um, and he gave me a lot of inspiration because he um, uh, basically studied how to get a book published on your own. And while we were dating, I was kind of you know uh, witnessing, and and I, I even got you know to edit um, his books and everything, and I just saw how to publish a book. Uh, and I I learned a lot about the process uh, from him. And after, you know, and, and, and then I, when I realized that I actually, that I, that I have something to put out there and that I have something that I want to, uh, that I want to bring out, um, I already, you know, I had a lot of guidance and I had a lot of support, uh, because I, I, I was, um, in close friendship with somebody who does that. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that, that was, that was a you know big help, but I went, uh, solo, I went, uh, uh self-publishing through Amazon, yep. which is amazing. Um, so the, enlighten me, please. Yes. Uh, so the way this works, basically, um, I, I, wrote, I, I wrote my first draft. I, I paid an editor. I did it all myself instead of waiting for a publisher. Uh, I, you know, I took someone professional to edit my book because, again, English is my second language. So just to make sure that uh, even if it was your first language, you still need an editor. You still need an editor. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, 100 percent, 100 percent. You need somebody else to look at what you wrote. Uh, and it went through the process of, of editing and second editing and proofreading and everything else. Um, but then uh, Amazon actually allows you to upload your book. They check it. You know, they do a quality check on it. They don't approve everything that you make upload. Make sure you're not trash 
talking Jeff Bezos? <laughs> <laughs> Just a tad. Um, and there is a whole process you need to do with like designing the cover. And again, shout out to you know uh, to Seth Stavala, who I watch. You know, you can you can search him and his books because I watched him do that, and he did a great job. So I knew exactly what to do. Uh, you do. I, I did uh, while I was in Nebraska. I did the cover design. Uh, illustrations. I met this great guy. That's what happens when you wander. Uh, so I met this great guy, Afghan, um, a veteran, uh, Amer- American Army veteran who served in Afghanistan. Uh, I met him. He was bartending at the at the bar at the steakhouse, and he was an amazing um, illustrator and painter. Um, and he did the illustrations to the book. Uh, it was a great connection between us, and he was so interested and engaged, and he did great work on the book. Um, and you know, once I got it all put together, I followed the the Amazon guidelines of how to prepare your book to print, uh, and I prepared it for print, and I I published my book through Amazon. I am a I am an author on Amazon, self published. I purchased the the ISBN number yeah. uh, for myself, and now I'm I'm a publisher, uh, but but Amazon is my print house, which means it's a paper print. It's also a lot more ecological and it's friendly to the environment. Because it means that if you you know if somebody orders a copy, Amazon prints a copy and sends them a right, copy. Right. I don't need to have you know. There's a, not a warehouse of books lying somewhere. No, and it's, I think it's a lot more you know economical cool. and sure. ecological. So. Is it available digitally? Yes. Kindle and uh, print on Amazon. Uh, so yeah, that's so we'll, uh, we'll definitely make sure to have that uh, in the show notes. How you can how you can get it's called uh, again Secret Israel. Hold, the hold, it, it, up, hold it up to the side. Secret Israel, I, the Israel most visitors miss. Most and, and visitors. I ta- miss. And I want to talk about this, but um, yeah, the 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 self publishing revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it, it's an amazing thing and it's an annoying thing at the same time. In the sense that you know, the same way that uh, social media lets everybody be a and, and podcast, an everybody can and, and be a can radio have a podcast. Yeah. Exactly, uh, it, it opens it up to everybody, but it also and and and, and they do, and they do. Everybody and, and, has a you know, but it also means those who are on the you know those who still get published by the the big publishers and all that. It it, it doesn't mean as much as it used to. Um, but it's it's cool that that people can write books um, or that people can do podcasts. Well, or, you yeah, know. I, I would say that I, I, I will say that, that Amazon does, you know, Amazon check what they, they're publishing because, you know, if you, it, because it needs to, to meet certain standards, unlike a podcast or YouTube where you can basically sure. upload whatever you want. And then unless, you know, something goes against community rules or something yeah. that um, say whatever. Want. Yeah. So, so <laughs> Amazon actually have Amazon and actually have to approve what you're uploading. So yeah. that's, so th- there is a quality check and they go over what you're sending them. Um, and another thing about that is that I made sure because I went self, I, I still want to go through a publisher in the future. Yeah. Uh, but circumstances were uh, were so where where I felt that that you know I want I want I wanted the book to yeah, go sure. out. Um, and it, but I, I did make sure myself that it meets. You know, I, I gave it to a professional uh, American you know editor to make sure that it it's, uh, meets all the standards and. Um, and I think yeah, it, it it feels it feels good that you don't That's have awesome. to. Yeah. Either wait or pay a lot of money. Back right. back when you wanted to publish a book sure, sure. Uh, in a in a private you know in a, a private manner, you had to pay so much money to a publishing house yeah, to get that yeah, to happen. Yeah, I looked into this actually because I've got my finally gosh my research. Uh, it's it's a somewhere between a study and a book that's supposed to be coming out soon. And congratulations, thanks. Uh, it's dragged out for a long time, so it <laughs> kind of it takes the wind out of the sails for sure. Um, I've actually spent more time now on the on the peer review and editing phase than I have on the actual research and writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which is so discouraging when you get to that stage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I called up a couple publishers just to get an idea. And one of them was like, look, unless we think it's going to be profitable, mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay us. 
True. And the cost, just so people have a clue of what it costs to go to a publisher and go through the process and have them publish it in print copies, is about $20,000. And, um, you know, shout out to people who take that risk and, and who go through it. Um, you know, with the exception of a few staggeringly successful authors, you know, writing books is not a profitable business. And, um, but, and, and it's, it's a huge undertaking. So, um, first of all, congratulations. And, and that's awesome. You took the initiative and realized, you know, okay, I've got a year, possibly more now going on to where you don't have your profession then what are you going to do with it yeah um i want to jump into a couple of the things here so can i yeah well you're the tourism guy so go ahead no you, yeah. you've you've selected very very well thank in you my opinion, and you've also included one of the most least visited and most mind-blowing awesome sites i, I know. It, ever okay so <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here with a professional guide and a professional tourism i'm i've i've traveled a lot and participated in tours but i'm neither of those things so i want let's go through this Let's, so I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to start with this because you could deep dive into this mm -hmm. and it fascinates me because it touches all of my crazy woohoo aliens amongst us uh, oh, okay, sort yeah. of sort of uh, um, states of mind. Yeah. Gilgal fame. Yeah. The wheel of the Nephilim. <laughs> and, and the concept what, what, of the Nephilim. What, what is this? Where is this? Give us the story here. Okay. So wait, you going to ask something about it or? No, 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 no. Go, okay. go, go for it. Take us there and, uh, and, and explain what it is on, on the face of it, but like, okay, and so then like, mm -hmm. get into it. Okay. Craziness. Okay. So just before uh, I start, I say that Gilgal Rafaim, uh, the, the, um, the origin of the name, can you find the page and kind yeah, of sure. open it? Thanks. Um, uh, it's called Gil, uh, Gilgal in, he uh, in Hebrew means wheel. Uh, so the wheel of the Nephilim. This is I. Uh, this is my translation to it. Okay, because most uh, most people, most Americans who would read that won't know who the Rephaim was, but they would know, they would they heard about the Nephilim. Um, the, the the half godly giants of the Book of Genesis. Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise known as the aliens mentioned in Noah. Me otherwise yeah. known as the aliens. Yeah. So at the at the, at the beginning of so it, it's called Gilgal Rephaim uh, because as as. Dan said that there are a few verses at the beginning of the book uh, of the chapter about Noah uh, in Genesis, and they're kind of they're completely unrelated to the book of Noah, <laughs> uh, to the story of Noah. But uh, they talk about these, you know, these um, uh, godly angels that came from the sky and maybe went, you know, and been with like human, you know, with uh, with 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 women on Earth, and maybe or may or may not have kids had kids with them. And these kids are kids are may or may not are the Nephilim who were brave right. warriors. Right. He talks about uh, Beneha Elohim, mm -hmm. the the sons of the gods who came from the sky and had children with human women. Now, if you were writing an alien encounter, or an extraterrestrial encounter of the third kind story, 2,000, 3,000 years ago and codifying that in an ancient language, wouldn't that be how you would describe <laughs> an alien landing on Earth? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Please see, uh, two hours into our previous episode of Tome, and I now will, you understand. I will give you that one. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I'm just going to uh, show an illustration here of Gilgal Rafaim. I have to say, I've never heard of this. I've never heard of this. Now you have to go there. Okay. So Gilgal Rafaim. It's not easy to get to. The reason why it's, I mean, okay, so it's, it's a, uh, it's, uh, sorry. Give me back the book. Give me back the book. The reason why Gilgal Rafaim, uh, you know, is a secret gem in Israel is because um, when you, first of all, when you ask, if you, if you ask me, you ask me, what was that place and what is that site? And I can tell you, I have no idea. Have nobody, no idea. nobody knows. Um, 
nobody knows even when you know they went and they they uh researched and dug uh, in the in the whole place they just they didn't come to any conclu- you know to any conclusion of what of, of what the place was uh they're all it is a gigantic um megalithic structure when you say gigantic um i'm talking i think i'm talking about a um a di- di- diameter of 500 um like 500 meters from one side to the other. Oh, okay. So half a kilometer. Yeah, or, or that's big. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 big. We're pulling up pictures here. Yeah. Uh, and it is made of concentric circles. We're, we're going to link to all these in the show notes. So <laughs> I just gave many more work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, pleasure, a, it's, a, it's a megalithic structure in the Golan Heights. Okay. And it is hard to get to. You can't drive there. You have to drive and, and park and walk uh, and walk there. And the funny thing, I mean, the, the reason why it is so unheard of, even though it's megalithic and it's huge, uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't known about until the 60s because it is actually so, I mean, even though it's made of concentric circles, when you are on the ground, you can't really see that it's made out of concentric circles. Right, so you have to look at it from the air to understand what you're Ex- looking at. Exactly, Interesting. exactly. Okay. So in 19... In in the uh, in 1960, there was a pilot of uh, the the Israeli Air Force who was flying above the Golan Heights, and all of a sudden, you know, realized that there was a weirdly structured, you know, thing of, of rocks of like in, in circular uh, um, shapes, and he brought that to archaeologists and they started to make research, and then realized okay. there was a big thing there. What's really fascinating about this place is that there isn't anything similar to it, not just in Israel, but in the entire county, uh, of the entire region. Like there is nothing like that. The closest thing we have to a, a consent circle uh, a structure of that magnitude or at all is in Iran but that's about uh, I think um, a thousand years and more like later than a than da- this structure at Dakma yeah exactly and it's a Zarathustrian uh, burial structure which is why people thought this was a burial structure too but the problem was in a burial structure you would find you know remainings of people for, for those listening, by the way, I didn't know that. I'm flipping through the book. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know a lot of random trivia. I did not. Um, know okay. Now, uh, now it's it's funny because the area of the Golan Heights, the, what the photo you your pi- picture you're looking at mm-hmm. is a dakma. Uh, it, that's that's from Iran. That's a fine dakma. That's a fine dakma. <laughs> Um, but um, it is a combination because on the one hand you have this this big megalithic structure, and I'm saying megalithic, you know, in this like magnitude of like of like Stonehenge and and uh, and the pyramids, you know, that that's that's huge. That that took a lot of effort to build. We don't understand exactly what it mm. was built for. Nobody was able to find any any use for it. Astronomers didn't, you know, try to see if there was any like specific, you know, uh, uh, way that if you look from the structure, you're gonna see nothing, nothing, no, uh, no burial, no. It's religious not oriented religion. to any axis of any star or planet. So, uh, or it's 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 oriented to the axis of you know of uh, there is one axis pointing up north towards Mount Hermon, which you know makes sense because you you want to point out it the, was the biggest uh, thing they would have seen exactly, in the and it. It goes. Uh, there is one axis going east towards the rising rising sun, so you know, pretty you know, pre- pretty basic. Not nothing you know too nothing too big. Um, and there is there is you know a way where in the longest day of the year the sun the sun beams come in. There, there there is inside there is a room and it comes in through the window in a specific way. But it's it's really hard to tell you know what was the function of the structure. And another thing that's interesting is that it's in the Golan Heights, and the Golan or the Bashan is known to be uh, the the land of the giants, the land of the Nephilim. When sure. we read in Genesis, we know that Og. the Og was Og exactly Og was the king of the Bashan, um, and and Og was a Rephite, 
Rephite, and, and, and the Rephites are known to be descendant to the Anakites and the Nephilim. So I actually go in the book, I, I, I go back, you know, with the biblical references to the Nephilim, the Anakites, and the Rephites. Um, and so this place was called Gilgal Rephaim way, way later, because mm-hmm. nobody knew it was there until the 1960s. Um, and that's really interesting because you have a structure that you can't really appreciate it if you stand next to it. That's why we didn't know it was there in a land that is referred to be the land of the giants. So, of course, I'm stretching it because we don't know. But how cool would it be if only the giants, you know, could stand up high and see the circular, you know, the, the concentric circles yeah. of that structure? And if you look at the, the name of Og, how do, you, uh, how do you, or a spaceship, how do you spell the name Og? In Hebrew? Hebrew with an ayin. With an ayin. Ayin and gimel. Yeah. Ayin gimel, that's the root of also igul, of something that mm. is round. And I just, I mean, I found all these weird similarities in language and history that kind of went um, uh, in, a, in a cool way with that. And another thing that's, that's very interesting is that the word refaim, uh, in the in the um, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, we use Rephaim in the beginning to describe the the um, the giants, but later on, when you use Rephaim, today we know the word Ruach Rephaim. Ruach Rephaim in Hebrew is means uh, ghost. ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rephaim. So it means something supernatural. It means something that is um, that is from the the worlds of beyond. That's Rephaim, uh, but also means right Rofe. We have the same root for doctor. Rofe mm. is a doctor. Is somebody who heals people. Um, and and lerape to to heal, uh, and that uh, and that was very interesting because when you look at the English Bible and uh, the translations to to English, uh, when they talk about the Raphites as giants, they say Raphites, and when they talk about Rephaim later on in like in in later books, they translate it to ghosts, they translate it into you know spirits. They don't say Rephaim anymore. So you kind of lose that connection when you read the Bible in in English, uh, the Old Testament in English. Um, but also interesting is that. Um, there was some sort of ancient tradition about building structures in order to try, and, you know, and circular structures like the mandala, in order to try and and um, bring back some sort of balance that was lost, um, and maybe to bring healing in some way. So I don't say that I have anything, you know, de- to determine about the wheel of the Nephilim, but I do say uh, about Gilgal Rephaim that it is just a remarkable place that brings in so many. Just crazy, you know, megalithic structure, giants, um, you know, ancient ways to bring healing into, you know, into ancient cultures. It just, it's a, a language that kind of gets mixed, you know, with it. It's just so mind-blowing, and nobody knows about it. Not even Israelis, you know, some some of the places, you know. Never heard of it. Yeah, never heard of it. So, yeah, so a lot of, lot of, lot of cool stuff about it. Have you been there? I have actually not personally been there. I, th- I think we're going to have to do a couple of... Uh Trips, trips to some of, some of these places here, yeah. but, it, but it's but it's awesome. The concept of it obviously is is very fascinating to me, and and I think that it just kind of it's like a manifest a manifestation of my mind that there were there was a place in time where there were people that were there that definitely in their minds knew what the place was for, and that right. it was intentional, and 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 that intent. You'd love to get into their heads. Connected them to a particular. I, I don't even know ritual or understanding or sure or or actual force that that came from somewhere else who knows i mean it's or it could have just been like a maze they made for their children it could be a corn maze (laughs) i really don't think you'd put that much effort into uh, Uh, have you seen some of the corn mazes in nebraska (laughs) what are some of the other things in this book that that you think not even israelis might know uh so the the, so gilgal refaim wheel of the nephilim is definitely one of them um what did you you jot down that was what i jotted down no that's the only one 
Um, I actually one of my favorites, and and it's it's funny because you mentioned Aya before, who introduced us. Uh, he actually read about. I mean, he didn't know about it, and he went to uh, to see. It. There's a place called uh, Meitzad Teret, uh, Shastel, and yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah, the Shastel of Jacob of Jacob's Ford. It's uh, chapter two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that's a really interesting place because it's Crusaders architecture. It's a fortress that was built right on uh, like a passing point uh, of the Jordan River. And the Crusaders built it against the uh, against the agreement they had with Saladin, with the with the Ayubites, with the Muslims that were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the whole the, the you know, in terms of, of Crusaders architecture, we have magnificent remainings from the Crusaders sure. here. I mean, even just the Church of Holy Sepulchre, like, you know, we have like thousand year old buildings that are still standing everywhere, you know, Accra and Kohav and like so many places to see, you know, Crusaders architecture is mind blowing. And Chastel is really nothing. Like it's not impressive There's at nothing all. To look at, you There's saying. nothing. I mean, the the, 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 the it's kind of like the base is there. So why is that? Like why would I? Because the whole place actually was destroyed before it was even they even completed the the structure. So there was there was an agreement between the Crusaders and the um, and the Muslims where you don't um, you know you, you don't contaminate the water sources, you don't hurt pilgrimages, uh, and you don't uh, hurt the trade routes. And so when the uh, the Crusaders actually built that the the their fortress where they did right right on the the one passage uh of the jordan river uh between israel and and jordan and syria uh it was kind of poking saladin in the eye so he went there and he destroyed in a great battle he destroyed the 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 castle and killed and there was a huge massacre he usually didn't do massacres saladin uh this time he was angry um but when he did no when, well when he, he, did. he offered the money twice uh, to Baldwin the Fourth, the leper king of the Crusaders, he offered if you, which is a cool story. If you don't know about Baldwin the Fourth, oh the leper yeah, king, yeah, yeah, watch Kingdom of Heaven, great, great movie, also true. Yeah, uh, so he offered him money twice, and and Baldwin the Fourth refused, and at that point, Saladin was like, "Well, okay then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> see what happens next time when you refuse my offers." So, uh, so he did what he did, cool. and. And so the, the, the fortress is actually, it's really cool archaeologically speaking because, okay, so for us visitors, we want to see something magnificent. Right. But for archaeologists, what they want is a place that actually existed for a very short period of time because then they can date everything that's in that place for that period of time. Oh, interesting. A- and also nobody used it afterwards because what Saladin did is that he took like the 800 people that he killed and he shoved a lot of them in the water wells. So he really contaminated the water sources. So nobody actually used that place for centuries and centuries after. What's really cool about this place, all that is not cool enough, um, but uh, what's really cool is actually, you know, is uh, we're going to go to geology. You said you love uh, earth sciences. Um, so I don't think you do. I really do. <laughs> I, I do. The flowers, not so much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from the earth. <laughs> I know. <but laughs> um, well, you know that Israel is sitting right on the uh, um, Syrian-African um, rift. rift. Yep. So the Crusaders didn't know that. They built their um, um, fortress right on, right on the rift, Stupid. but on a, on a, on, so a br- on a breaking point. If you know what to look for, it's so easy to Silly say. Silly crusader. No, no, no. Like you should clearly have understood. No, they really. But they didn't know. understand. They didn't know. Can I, can I point something out? Um, I, I happen to read a book called Jerusalem, Montefiore's mm-hmm. Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you read it. It's a magnificent history. Did he book. write it? The Montefiore, a descendant of his, who is now a British historian. Okay. Um, um, Simon Montefiore. And um, there's many, many chapters in there devoted to the history of the the Crusader period in Israel. Mm-hmm. 
And I consider myself generally literate in Jewish history. Okay, I've taken, you know, I've read many books on Jewish history. I love learning about Jewish history, history of the land of Israel, history of the Middle East. And it's just something that I feel like in Israel and Israeli culture and in Jewish history, we kind of just skip over it's not, that it's not our history period. It's not our history. That's why. And, uh, fair enough. Uh, but there's like 400 years of crusader history here in Israel that is mind-blowingly fascinating. 200 years? 200 years of <laughs> crusader history. No, 400 years. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's t- 1099 to 1293. That's 200. That's it? A little less, yeah. That's it? Okay. Yeah. Still. Sorry, so, bro. I mean, if you want no, no, to but count... Like, no, no. 400 years of crusaders. Yeah, of okay. Crusades. That's what I meant. Yes. Yeah, that's 100%. Just here in Israel, that's like a 200-year okay, period. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll pretend that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's mind blowing. Like, and and we talk about Baldwin and all these. Like, nobody knows about that here. It's just kind mm-hmm. of like, yeah, we'll just skip over that part. But it's it's like really really interesting. Like the geopolitics that were at play here. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I recommend people to to check that part of history. Out. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And so if you look, there is here a sketch of the of the fortress, and they actually, if you can see, they built it right on the sim line of uh, of the rift, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hold it near to the camera. Um, and Most people will be listening, uh, <laughs> but what's uh, so there's a there's a there's a uh, uh, sort of a blueprint of a building there, and it's showing that the fault line goes right. directly through the directly through the middle of the building. And why and why is that cool? Because um, the earthquakes that happened there, and you know, in Israel we have or like frequent earthquakes because of that rift. And it's still very active um, because the Crusaders were such great builders. It didn't destroy the structure. Uh, but it actually just made it move. It just mm. made it, you know, like shifted. Sh- shift. Yeah, it, it was like you, 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 you took one part of the building, you, you brought it forward, and you took the other yeah. part and t- pushed it back a little bit, like a giant kind of played with it, like it was Legos or something. Um, Why it, were they such good builders? Uh, they well, really were because you had to build things to last. No, but like it wasn't like, cheap Chinese labor, Dan. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll just finish the point. So, yeah. our, so geologists today—that is the first time that geologists can use a structure an archaeological structure to actually better calculate and determine future earthquakes and, you know, the strength of it and, and how bad is it going to be according to what was. So they, they can calculate the movement of the structure and how many millimeters it moves every year. Um, and they can actually, they use the structure for, to do seismology, um, like seismological um, calculations. Cool. I, I have a theory about, I mean, I was, I was joking about the Chinese labor, but I have a theory as to why they're amazing builders. And I think that it's, you can't fail, meaning you have to build well because it's it's so labor intensive to build these fortresses and you're talking about massive amounts of manpower and resources and the stones that are used to build it don't necessarily come from the same place. So you're bringing things over. And if you don't do it right, you don't build a quality building. But I mean, uh, it's my, not it's so it's easy it's to it's just it's to make a repair. Also, it's also like, the, it's, 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 the protection. It's also the yeah. protection. Because so much is riding the, on it. The reason why Saladin actually attacked the fortress, you know, didn't take his sweet time and attacked. He attacked them while they were building the fortress because he knew once that once once, yeah. once they have it built, he can't get he can't reach them. I mean, yeah, they, like you look at other other cultures, civilizations, empires, and you know, we're talking about a thousand thousand year old structures all over Israel. Mm-hmm. That are by and large still standing. Oh yeah, and, mm-hmm. and and you know, and many modern buildings or more modern buildings than that have their foundations based on the still remaining foundations of this period. It's mm-hmm. really impressive um, what they managed to do in such a short period of time with that kind of building style. Uh, you know, the fact that we can still tour so many Crusader fortresses around here that that they're standing stand up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I don't. Know. I think it's impressive. Um, 
Israel is cool. Come visit. It's really so, so there's a there's a, there's a little, little little known site, uh, and I don't even know the name of the site, and it's not in the book, but it's to this point about Crusader building. There is a highway that goes through uh, Lod on the way to the airport, uh, on one of the roads that connects to the old city of Lod, connecting to Highway 40. It's like the modern highway. Uh, there's a small sign. Many people miss it, uh, and it's next to if you know where if you're driving by there. There's the building for uh, Lav Alba Shalosh Shalosh. Uh, Alba Abba Shalosh, uh, no, the police, police state uh, headquarters, yeah. headquarters for the, um, I don't know what unit that's called. Uh, but uh, the bridge that's still used, that's used today for modern traffic is actually a Crusader bridge. And if you go off the road down the trail, you see the actual bridge. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this ancient it's, it's very bridge impressive. that's just been incorporated into the road, which sees, I mean, thousands of cars drive over that every yeah. day. And the building that I live in was built 60 years ago, and it already uh, we already ne- going to need to evacuate it for the <laughs> because there's gonna be, it's not going to last an earthquake. So well, there you go. <laughs> what what if you had to pick one more gem? One more gem from the book. Let me open. We don't we don't want to give it all away here on the show. Yeah, that's right. Although um, I, uh, this it looks cool. It looks really cool. Okay. Uh, well, it's actually, you know, we, we did cover one of them because we talked about my grandfather and, and the story of how I found, I mean, the story, th- there is the story here called The First Zionist, and that's the story of how I stumbled upon H- uh, the, the Hidda's tomb because um, mm. um, the people, the, the generations after, uh, the people who murdered him still came to vandalize his um, uh, his tomb afterwards. wasn't clear, by the way. Were they Jews or Arabs? No, like, Arabs. Uh, came came, came to, to just, just ruin the tomb and, and, you know, still hatred goes from generation to generation which explained why the, the people in the old city still remember to tell me stories about that apparently that kind of <laughs> moves on from generation to generation um so they had to move his tomb to a place where it won't be found and i stumbled upon it guiding a tour by, uh, by accident by accident wow and, and i stumbled Can upon it i stumbled upon it while guiding you know on uh, guiding speaking about a mo- another a different monumental structure uh so it was just it was it was a really mind-blowing story you just like stumbled by this what is it? Is it a tombstone? Is it a monument? And you're it's, like, it's, I know that name. No, like, so there's a there's, there's a monument, and and the tombstone was hidden so that you know people won't come and vandalize the tomb anymore. So I didn't know, and I knew it was hidden. I just didn't know where. Okay. Since putting um, it in your book, has it been vandalized? Yeah, because every all, all the uh, the Arabs They're in the old city in Jerusalem are reading it. Palestinian yeah. shopkeepers read this <laughs> book. Have you read this book? Um, but if if I had to choose another one, I choose Beit Sherin Nakopolis. Um, I, I think that that's one of the most missed. I mean, it's hard. It's it, I understand why people don't go there because it's really and most people don't understand this. Mo- most guides, I've said, I've most said groups there, most tour guides don't. You know, I didn't understand until I, I actually had to dive really deep in a, in order to fully you know put together the story of Beit Sharim and why is it there and why is it like the way that it is. It's, it's basically like very cool Jewish catacombs. Um, Jewish burial caves. It's a, it's a huge factory that was active in the third and fourth century AD. After the Jews were already expelled from here, there was a, there was there were some Jews in the galley, and we're talking about a time where the the uh, Jews in Israel. Uh, or let, let, let's say like the nobility of Jews and sages in Israel are, are you know, fighting against the nobility of Jews in Babylon because there's a huge rising Jewish center in Babylon. That's why we have the, the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud that were written at the same time. Um, and the, the, the catacombs of Beit of Sharim is sort of a side effect of, of you know, or, or like an attempt to create significance to what, you know, to, to Israel, even though Jews didn't live in Israel anymore. And how do you keep Israel important? Well, you you transfer it to the next, you know, to to the to the next world. You transfer it to the to the afterlife, 
in Beit Shearim is like it's where that's where it started because why other you know people were shipped here to be shipped to be buried in Beit Shearim from all over the Jewish the ancient Jewish world uh, outside of Israel. It's a mind blowing place, and most tours would never get there. You send people there, mostly Jews. Jews that are here for like their third, their third, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. They're looking for something that they haven't been. They to haven't before, been to before, exactly. So I, I've guided, I think, one or one or two tours there, uh, in a ten, you know, in in, in a ten year guiding career. Yeah, have you been? No, uh, you would love. Oh, it. I don't think I have. Amazing. I don't think I have. It's the place of the burial of uh, Rabbi Yudan, Rabbi Yudanasi, who wrote the Mishnah. So maybe I have been there, and it, and I don't remember because that that sounds more familiar. And it's just you walk in there, even if you don't know what's in there. You just walk into these crazy ancient burial caves with uh, sarcophaguses that are made of like five tons of yeah. limestone, Brennan, and with yeah. like carvings on the uh, on the sarcophaguses, and it's so it, it is it is so magical. It's a very um, it, it's almost interesting, and and, and then this is going to sound strange because we're in Israel and it's like the historic homeland of the Jewish people and whatnot, but like the. There aren't many ancient sites that you can actually view Jewish symbols that are on the site right. in Israel. There's a lot of Christian sites that are old that you can see symbols on. I'm talking about like, you know, actual symbols like Magen David or, or menorah or, or, or menorah or something like that. And in Beit Sharim, you can. Mm. Uh, it, it's magnificent, also. It, it's right. like it's impressive. You'll be walking through like a very dark tomb, and then all of a sudden, you know, a flashlight will come on, and there's a, like a, giant, a menorah. giant menorah, like carved in carved the, the store. Where, where At, is it? In uh, Jezreel Valley, yeah. So and 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 in the book, actually. So what what I did in the book and what makes it kind of uh, like what what I love about it most is I I got the chance to instead of just writing about the sites and writing the stories about the sites, I actually took characters who lived at the time and who had an, an interesting story related to it, actual historical figures, and I wrote the story from their eyes. So in, in oh, that's cool. so for instance, in, in Gilgal Refaim, there's a section, not all of it, some of it is, is, you know, all scientific, and I have a master's in Israel studies, so it's all based on articles, there's a bibliography at the end, um, and, and, and footnotes and everything, but there is a section there that describes Og's, uh, Og the king of the Bashan, Og's last day before he's going, just before he's going to fight the Israelites and how he wakes up in the morning and what he feels uh, before he knows that it's his last battle and he's going to lose his kingdom. Um, or for instance, in Beit Sharim, what I did is I took um, Alexander Zaid, who was like the, one of the biggest, you know, like uh, guards in Israel, like a big uh, um, pioneer. Uh, and I took Benjamin Mazar, who was the, you know, one of the most famous Israeli uh, archaeologists. Uh, and actually, Be- Beit Sharim is considered to be the first uh, Zionist uh, um, um, archaeological excavation in, in Israel. It happened right after um, the, the, the establishment. Uh, or, or no, even before 1936 is when they started digging there. So it's like a Zionist excavation. Um, and I took the story, and, and Alexander Zadis is the one who discovered the place, and he called in Benjamin Mazal. So um, in the story, I actually go into all the details of how, you know, uh, just the story told through their eyes of how they meet, and they they find this cave that they're not sure what it's about, and how they dig through it, and what and how do, how do they even, you know, come to the conclusion of what, what it really is. Uh, but it's told through their eyes in a, in a way that's very... Uh, personal mm. and that way you kind of instead of just reading you know dry details about jewish history you get to read a story sure. and i think story is such a powerful tool it's like it's so it's so much fun to listen to a story uh rather than just you Absolutely. know read through it read through a textbook so yeah very awesome. cool very very cool uh it's it, it's got to be hard definitely to select 10 sites out of out of everything you can make uh, really uh, and even too. more 
crazy that you did that sitting on a ranch in Nebraska. That was the best thing. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, I should probably go to the to, to the ranch to write because I'm um I've decided already this is going to be a part of a series because I want I want to do I want to do a trilogy and it's going to be there's go, there are going to be two more. Uh, and I want to go. I, I'm, I'm thinking if I should go to Nebraska or somewhere else to read to, to write the next ones. But there's something about writing about Israel from outside of Israel. Yeah. Um, I really needed that time. That I, I needed to be away from here. Sure. How um, lo- how long were you uh, away from Israel? Ten months. Ten months. But it took. I mean, I didn't write the book. No, yeah, all yeah, of them. But no. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I like how you took. I mean, it's a limited number of sites, which. which you know, sometimes these projects, I'm, I'm thinking from like the point of view of like an author, it's like secret Israel. So, oh my God, I want to tell everything. And I, I have a tendency to do this when I write is like, I want to say everything. And, and like, you know, you, you have to know to pick a couple things. And then like, I like how you take it. Then you bring in the scholarship. It seems like you bring in the the, the Bible, you bring in art and, and medieval history, and then you bring in the stories and, you know, take a few things and, and tell that story well instead of trying to just do everything. Um, and that opens it up, yeah, like you said, for, for a trilogy or for a whole yeah. series of, you know, Secret Israel type of books. It's really cool. It's a Thank cool you. concept, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's actually a, a tour guide's talent because when you're when you're guiding sure. a group and you go to a site, you only have a certain amount of time there and you want right. to make sure you bring up the highlights. And I figure that when you read about stuff, that's also, that's really what you want. You know, you want the, the highlights. Sure. Was it um, Was it like therapeutic for you to write the book? At a time like that? So much so. So much so. I felt like at least I was doing something. We, I mean, we're talking about opportunities and we're talking about all the good things that are happening. But, but, I mean, Israel, speaking Israel, just, you know, presenting Israel to others is pretty much all that I am. <laughs> it's all that I knew. It was my first profession. I finished my IDF service, went straight to tour, to tour guide training, uh, and that's all that I've known how to do. Um, and it's exactly, that's how the book came to be because I, I was, you know, I found myself without being able to do what I was and without being able to do my, to, to, to bring my identity, you know, that, that's. And you weren't even here. uh, Yeah. But I went, you know, but, but I do speak about Israel when I'm not, when I'm away from Israel. It just, it doesn't really matter if I'm I'm here or not. In in the context of being, being apart from your life's work and being apart from the place and the physicality of it and the people in it, in it, in it. And I have to imagine that that was a true. Like a, a terrifically therapeutic experience, and a, a a point of light in what was for for myself at least, uh, and I can I can say you know many many people probably a very dark and confusing time. Still, it still is, and, and it still, still is, is. Um, and yeah, and it feels like you know what at least it was like you know I I I, I put it somewhere. It feel you know that when it comes to talking about Israel, it's just it comes out of me, yeah. <laughs> um, and and it feels like you know what if I can't I mean I, I'm I'm just I'm I'm gonna keep on doing it. Uh, there are crazy crazy things happening in the world, and you know it just it has to find it has to find an outlet because because it's so important. It's just I, I can't even find the words to explain it, but it's, it's right. but but it's it's my identity. So if it's not gonna come out by guiding, and when I guided, I didn't have a second to breathe. I actually had right. you know I had I. I, I I speak about it and I say, you know, somebody told me I need to write a book about, you know, people told me you have to write a book. And I was like, yeah, w- when? Okay, I was, yeah, sure. I, I was working in master's degree and, and master's degree and everything else. And I was like, I, it, that was never going to happen. So, you know, there is, there's a good side to everything. And that's also something to yeah. take, you know, that you, we can, we can make something out of, you know, out that's of where everything. this podcast came out of right. too. You know, uh, y- y- it's very easy to be taken down by life and its challenges. And sometimes you have to say, okay, a door was closed. I can dwell on it or I can look at 
what opened because that closed? You know, what did I want to pursue that I couldn't? Uh, okay, you know. What I, do I have and what can I still do with what I have? Yeah, like, I know, what, I know what I want. It's just that the how changed, right. but the what never changed. Right. And, and, and I'll say, you know, the three of us are fortunate enough, it seems. Uh, we just met you recently, but, you know, I'm, I, I'm certainly fortunate enough that, thank God nobody was starving because of this. Nobody was homeless because of because of the last year, even if, if, if salaries were cut or, you know, we had to, you know, buy fewer things nobody nobody we were lucky enough that we were able to survive it decently comfortably and i had some dicey moments yeah same here but uh you know at the end of the day we have families here and and you know thank god we're not in those positions where anybody had to be homeless or or destitute because of it and um we could say okay you know a door closed what opened because of it so uh good for you for doing this thank you and um i think i think it's cool i i think it's really cool i look forward to reading it myself and, you, and visiting some of these places too. Have you had the chance to guide uh, besides the, the group with Dan? No, uh, no. no. I mean, who, whom? Um, that is kind of a misconception here that uh, in Israel, uh, if people are listening to us in Israel, uh, that they what? They are. They are. Yeah. Well, great. So, <laughs> you know, since that happened, people are asking me, why aren't you guiding Israelis? Why aren't you guiding in Hebrew guiding Israelis? And it's a different the, animal. It's it's oh yeah exactly it's a different animal. Um, no, it's it's a different profession. Uh, guiding in Hebrew, guiding in uh, Israelis is not the same uh, skill set that it is to guide people who never been here before. Uh, it is a whole other spiel. I have ten years of experience delivering Israel to people who don't know it and to very different people who don't know it from many different angles. And who and who behave differently. Behave differently, believe different things, uh, come with different constructs and, and mindsets about Israel. We talked, I talked about my German mind, you know, uh, uh, construct about, you know, having, some people come with these constructs about Israel and how do you speak to them and how do you, yeah. you know, how do you engage with them? It's so, it is a profession on its own um, and it's, you know, it's gone. Like Israel haven't let foreign citizens and groups uh, into the country since March 2020. Uh, and the delegation that, that uh, you guys brought was, you know, just I, I was shocked when I called yeah. me and he was like, do you can you guide on a Friday? And I was I was I was so down. It's like guide whom? And I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> probably an Israeli you know group that I, not, you know, no offense. It just that's not my, my field. And when you said a delegation from Bahrain, I started laughing uncontrollably because I thought he was making fun of me. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it is like no, I haven't I haven't guided. I still haven't guided. What I do, um, what what I do do though is is I speak. Uh, so if I can't guide, I try to speak to audiences. Um, so yeah. I you know I'll, I'll go abroad and speak, or I'll do Zoom uh, uh, events and and online events and talks. So that's kind of where I get my outlet. But guiding, no, and I I'm I'm oh, God, I miss it. <laughs> so I I can say we've been doing uh, since since June, and then there was a break there in August when uh, when Delta came in here, or July in, in August, uh, and then and then resuming in September up until now, really. Uh, we in, in my company, uh, Kenneth Tours, we've had a few uh, groups that have come in under the guidelines of the of this like pilot framework. Mm-hmm. Um, for people that are interested in just knowing how that works, it's just groups that are a minimum of five people, a maximum of thirty, and if your group is larger than that, then there are ways to register it as, as, yeah. as two groups or whatnot. So we could, you know, we could number those groups on, let's say, you know, our, our hands, but uh, it's given us a, at least a taste of. Uh, what was and and for the for the uh, for for my amazing beautiful colleagues uh, that that have that have been working so hard on on getting these groups in and, and dealing with them it's been 
uh, a real source of, of energy uh, for us all. And, and now, actually today, as, as we're speaking, uh, the government is uh, deliberating and, and voting in the coronavirus, cab- coronavirus cabinet on the uh, renewed opening or of, of some sort of a framework of allowing individuals that are vaccinated and that have all kinds of different criteria of coming back. And it is in no way, shape, or form uh, a return to what once was. Uh, but in the spirit of trying to be optimistic, it's probably better to have your foot in the door and doing something than, than not having anything. And it's something. And um, it's in a, in, a, in a place like Israel, which did shut down for so long and, and so much longer than most other countries in, in it's, its much sphere, stricter, yeah. and yeah. much stricter. Yeah. Much uh, stricter. It, it's most definitely felt, as, by, by us at least, as, as progress. Uh, and uh, it, it means for the vast majority of people that do fit into the guidelines if you're if you're able to and you want to come back it's 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 a possibility it's not it's not so far removed uh yeah. but and there are a lot of buts yeah uh it's it's not enough to support the industry no uh the indus- government likes big butts and it cannot lie, cannot <laughs> lie. Uh, no it, it's, i was gonna make a joke of that and and i, I stopped I, myself I, I think there's something like five thousand <laughs> or six thousand or so tour guides licensed tour guides in the country if i'm just focusing for the moment on tour guides yeah uh most of those are probably guiding israelis but but you know, you're still talking about thousands of tour guides i that think are about guiding. two thousand uh and and, and twenty five hundred tour guides who guide um like for foreign uh, right. foreigners and so it's, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a long uh road before uh before before many of those people get to be working in in a way that they were in the past and and for the lucky few that are working now uh or, or we're just starting out to work it's it's you know it, in many ways like you said probably like you get a phone call you know, guide a group like what yeah <laughs> yeah what, what am i doing because you it, it's become we use this phrase like this new normal like it's become this this normal it's, like it's yeah it's even more than that like the, the the morning of of the guiding i was i mean i was excited guiding a delegation from bahrain that's i mean well, that's that would have been a big de- that would have been a big de- historical that, that, deal that, anyway that's a big historical deal anyway like i would have i i would have uh, considered that and and i have con- I, I i do consider that a peak in my career like that is a peak point that is a climax in my career and it happened in such a desert you know, of, of, and, and I, I remember I woke up in the morning and instead of being excited, I mean, I actually, the day before I rehearsed, okay. you know, everything and I, and I reread everything and I actually wrote down to myself, I can show down, I have here on my, my, on my notes, I still have the notes here, uh, where I wrote down, introduce the driver, introduce myself, say where we're going because I, I, I haven't guided in close to two years. My last group wow. was December, 2019. Yeah. And then, you know, I kind of went into my, my degree, like graduating and then I went abroad. So my last group was December, 2019. It's close to two years that I haven't done my trade. Um, and that morning, you know, I, 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 I couldn't get out of bed and I didn't understand why because I was so excited and, and something was really heavy and I got in the shower and I just cried my eyes off. I cried my eyes off because, because these two years, you know, that, 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 it felt it broke me, um, and it's really hard. And and that is to say, 
I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic, which is great because I'm always surprised for the best, you know. Um, <laughs> right? and, and, you know, for, for the better. You're never and, let down. No, I'm never let down. You know, by the way, what's the um, what's Jewish optimism? Mm-hmm. And one Jew says to the other, how are you doing? And the other one says, you know, oh, things are terrible. It couldn't possibly get any worse. And the first one says, oh, don't say that. It can always get worse. <laughs> so that's Jewish optimism. Yeah. Um, and the definition of a, of a pessimist is an optimist who gave up. So that's pretty much, you know, that that's pretty pretty much me i'm very pessimistic like even just today i was reading in the news about how uh there's a new variant now of the delta and conveniently on the same day that they announced the framework for exactly and it already happened yeah and it already happened a couple of times you know we probably remember june july august they did the same thing and i was like here we go again um, and I do want to say that, okay, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic about the, the tourism world. And I'm, I don't think even if, and, and don't get me wrong, people come back, you know, if you can check and come and, and come if you can. Um, but there are people here with huge talents, uh, you know, to, to bring Israel, you know, outside. So maybe we can bring Israel outside of Israel. That's sort of my, my frame of thinking. Uh, because and that's that's where the book we came should be from. doing that anyways. By the way, exactly, we should have been doing mm-hmm. that before as well. Yeah. I, I think that I think that look, I'm not into personally doing virtual tours. My company does not do virtual no, not, tours. Not virt- I'm not talking about virtual or tours. speaking engagements mm-hmm. or, or these. That. I was approached by a number of people during the pandemic, uh, during during the lockdown phase of the pandemic, about you know people that were speakers. Like I'd like help. Could you you know assist us getting into the communities and, and trying to you know deal with things? I was on you know unpaid leave or furlough at that time. Chalat in Hebrew. Uh, and and you know I wasn't in the, in the right uh, mind space to to be involved, but I think that um, look, it it may be a double edged sword in the end of the, in, at the end of the day for a lot of these people because if it's so easy to access their content on Zoom, if you're a Jewish federation or a uh, synagogue or, or or some sort of an organization abroad, then mm-hmm. I mean you can you know set up a couple of these people to speak. A they're not going to be able to charge as much for that same you know, gig B the groups that group might not have a reason to come at that moment in time. Yeah. So it, it could it could be but no there's no substitute to be and there's no substitute. And there's no substitute whatsoever. Well, yeah, sorry. Go but, ahead. but 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 what I'm saying about it is just I think that to discover the fact that you could bring some sort of a taste of an experience or at least just updating people abroad that care about Israel, what the hell's going on? Well, that's here. what I've been doing. Which, yeah. Right. Especially uh, during the conflict with, with Gaza, I was literally on, you know, Zoom call after Zoom call updating. But then yeah, I did during, the same. And then during the elections, you know, talking about, okay, what but like, were we doing that before mean? COVID? Not as much on Zoom. It, people wanted in person. So what I noticed is. They would fly you out and you would I speak. would fly out occasionally, but I noticed that my, my uh, competition were, first of all, Americans who are Israel experts. Um, and then the the better well known people, you know, the the Washington think tankers who are well known Israel experts, whether it's you know the big leagues like Dennis Ross and these guys, or like, you know, more moderate modest people. Um, and then if it's a local community, they can't afford to fly someone in. They'd have like a university professor from the low, nearby university who teaches about Israel in the Middle East. Um, I've done a, bu- a few speaking tours, uh, you know, in the U.S., etc. I was about to do actually a whole bunch of them. Uh, before COVID hit, uh, I was about to fly out on a Hillel tour. I was about to fly out to the West Coast and do a whole speaking tour. Um, but what I noticed once Zoom hit, first of all, or initially there was very little interest, and then all of a sudden it was much easier to get the Dennis Rosses and the you know those kind of people um, on Zoom. Yeah, but Zoom's in his living room. <laughs> but when when the got when during the elections and the Gaza conflict, I actually you know yeah I, I think there was just a lot of need for a lot of people and. Yeah. 
and uh, thankfully I was I was kind of busy at that time, you know, speaking a lot. Yeah, the the Herzl soda bottle, um, <laughs> very very cool. Um, it we we always like to kind of wrap up with like a fun question or like a, a off the off the off the beaten path. Off the beaten path. Yeah. But but before if we if before if I, yeah go ahead. I think it's easy to be pessimistic, and I think that we've been through. I mean, we've been through the the the, the ringer. In, in like so many ways over the past over the past year and a half, two years. Many of us were unemployed. Many of us were on furlough. Many of us are not feeling uh, valued or validified. Yeah. Um, it's a profession where for some people there's not a lot of crossover in terms of what you might do if you're not going to do this. Correct. And not just about because it's not your dream, but literally like a lot of people... What, what are you sure. going to do? I had to reinvent myself. I, I know people <laughs> yeah. that are Same here. super, super, super talented, amazing tour operators that, you know, just by the sheer luck of it, they happen to serve, let's say, a South American market. Well, shit. I mean, that that's not coming back for a while. So for that person, I mean, to go from that kind of a, a, a position, then now they're working in like, you know, a secretary at a, at a doctor's office or whatever, yeah. where it's just like, it's not fair. And it's, 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 I, I, and for me, I think the toughest part about this, and I say this to my wife because we're, we'll be watching the TV together. It's like, you got to see the rest of the country. And I'm not talking about people like you, Dan, that were adjacent to this industry yeah. that relied on it for your livelihood as well, but just regular Israeli people. It's like, they didn't even give a shit. It's like they, they, the, the, it wasn't covered in the media. Almost at all. And when Noga Nirleman would do something about tourism, it was only about Israelis traveling abroad. It was never about right. the tourism industry there was a, in this there country. There were a few like tiny pieces yeah, in the media. Like, it was like it was puffy. Like, it was like shit. It was like shake it off. Uh, yeah. And 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 all of a sudden today, it's like it's in the front page. And 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 you see like there are a couple of people that are already writing critically about it. Like, you know, what is this? This app I have, Hamal. It's very mm-hmm. clickbaity. Everything they put yeah. up is a very clickbaity headline. The headline for them was like not, you know, opening the airport. It's en chashash mi variantim. You know, nobody's concerned about new variants. They're opening up tourism. Like that's, and to hear that like there's there's this there's this 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 deep uh, labor of love that we're all involved with that we understand the impact of. And it's critical. And it's not just because people like to come here for fun, but like literally right. this is the connections sure. of if we're just talking about the Jewish people, of Jewish people abroad to the values yeah. and the and the and the and the physicality of the land of Israel. And the and that identity forging and, piece. And, f- and furthermore, every person who is not a Jew who decides to come here is leaving with such a different perspective. Right. Yeah. And for the rest of the country to just be like, eh. Like all right. it doesn't affect you. It almost just feels like, yeah, fuck them. These people are annoying, and 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 like you're if part of these me, WhatsApp groups where you're you, seeing. If, if farmers oh, were hit, would you would you go be out protesting for the farmers? I'm not asking for protest. I think that's the thing. I, it so would be nice. I'm not a naive person. I yeah, don't expect I mean, people to come out and protest on behalf of the tourism people. But I mean, look, it's a four billion dollar a year industry in this country. Like it's not like a couple of guys that are doing this crazy thing. Like it's like hundreds of thousands oh, sure. of people. No, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand right. people rely on the tourism industry and the periphery and and yeah. the economy of so many places here. And it's like uh, that, that it was that neglected. It was when, very when you neglected. saw other countries of roughly our size manage to get open much quicker. You know, I give the example of of Dubai. They man, except for like a one month lockdown, and they locked down. 
They've been open to tourism and foreign workers the entire time. F- furthermore, um, Greece, you know, is- Israel Israelis still go abroad. Yeah. And uh, unless Israel plans to shut its border, its borders completely. Right. Nobody comes in and nobody comes out. And I don't think that's fe- that's feasible. I don't think that's yeah, doable. Right. They tried. So and la- well, they tried. And how long did it last? And, and you know, and you had terrible cases of people not, you know, it, it, like Jews in general. Like we 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 have relatives outside the country, and you had you know cases where where you know parents died and their their children couldn't come be well, with sure. them. It's like terrible, terrible things. So and businesses, you know, people who run businesses in both countries, you can't really leave people locked. And and furthermore, Corona is here. It is here, and the yeah. world is open, and people are coming and going, yeah. and it is here to stay. It's not yeah. going anywhere, and it's at, at this point, Israel has been extending yeah. uh, for, for, I mean, I, I mean uh, honestly, for, for really no apparent reason. Yeah, I agree. Um, oh, it's the, for, the, Fortress Israel. It's the, it's the ethos of, of yeah, the country. But, 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 but the fact the that you can go abroad and, and that other people can't come in here is just ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And, and it de- it, in my mind, it very deeply touches on different points in the Israeli psyche of let's say a fear of foreigners um, of, of, a, of, of a concern that yeah. you know these people are others yeah, they're I, not us I don't understand why a corona of someone from America is more dangerous than the corona of someone who of a Jew of, a, of, of an Israeli, Israeli who came from New York America comes it's, back. It's, yeah. it's, very it's the same person it's very simple if you're vaccinated get a test before get a test when you land wait for the results Halas, you know like uh, that's what all these other countries are doing yeah I just came back from Dubai again I said that it's exactly what I did the three times I flew and it's not that big a deal, and I don't know why we just can't do that here, you know. Mm-hmm. So I hope social I, construct. I hope that's what they change as of November first. I hope uh, your Fingers business crossed. gets fully going. I hope you get the groups back. I hope I get my groups back. Yep, hundred percent. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to Listen, that. in the meantime, if you can't come to Israel because of our crazy government's antics. <laughs> Wait, you, you, know, you never answered my dad's question was there anything from the Bahrainis that you've never heard before that I never heard before a question yeah. that I never heard or before something you didn't expect from them an angle a question um, yeah okay so that's that's more um, that's more easy um, I think what what I really didn't expect I mean I, I, I talked to some of them kind of a off uh, yeah. off record and um I didn't expect and like how much um, lack of interest there is hmm. in Israel, because I mean we're really not, and I didn't, I never thought about it this way. I mean, it makes lack sense. Lack of interest when, in like lack of interest. It's like you know how many Bahrainians really care about what's going on in Israel and 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 with the conflict yeah. and everything. And you know, I talked to them. I was like, yeah, you know, most people don't even give it a second thought yeah. because it's not part of their day to day lives, and that's not you know they, they they don't you know they don't really care about Israel because it's funny. Western media uh, makes sure you know to to put us in the narrative all the time. Um, Bahraini media doesn't do that right. all that unless much unless it's connected to the conflict. Unless, yeah, and also, and and Israel is is also known to be used as like a a, a bigger elsewhere. So if you want to uh, distract people from what's going on in your own country, you know, if you're a politician, you know, you want to dis- distract people from what's going on, you know, for why things suck. So you bring up a conflict that's you know happening somewhere else, and you create a bigger elsewhere, and and that's kind of. Um, a nice distraction, um, but but I mean, people don't really you know care with all their hearts about what's going on here, and it's a very central you know way of, Israeli way of thinking of thinking that we're the center of the world. Yeah, that's true. Um, and 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 sometimes we get reassurance to that, but sometimes we forget that it's not like that all over the world. 
Um, so that's that's one thing. And the second, I think, was um, it's just something that that um, dawned on me is um, I, th- I think it's not like a new thing, but it's something that I really appreciated. And and that's the risk that that people in 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 like the Arab world take upon themselves when they support Israel. And there is a risk. Um, and it's something that was really important for me. And I'm glad I get to point it out a little bit because, I mean, when 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 I say to people in Israel, oh, I guided the delegation from Bahrain. I say that people in Israel, people in the States, like whatever, all my friends, um, everybody's like, wow, that is amazing. Good for you. That is historical. That is great. That is so good. Uh, people are so supportive. And... I am 100% sure that is not all the reac- like, like majority of the reactions when, when people from Bahrain go back home and they say, oh, we were the first delegation to go to Israel. They don't exactly get, you know, accepted with hugs. Uh, and in fact, it's, it's, it's sometimes much worse. Um, and that is something that, you know, th- that is brave uh, yeah. to me. That is, that is a brave choice. And I just, I, 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 I left, you know, I, I went out of the delegation. Uh, I hope, uh, Mr. Pfefferman, that, that, you know, that answers the question that your, your dad's, um, I, yeah, I, I, it looks like my dad's question. Yeah. <laughs> my parents share a Facebook account, so, okay. but that looks like a dad question. Um, so I just, um, uh, I, I just left with, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to take, it's easier to take our sides, you know, even if it's, it is right. Um, but, but the people who decide to come here from, you know, they, they're, they're taking a brave yeah. choice. Yeah, the first group, sir, certainly in Bahrain, in the UAE less so, certainly in Bahrain, the initial groups are, are going to catch flack. They, yeah. they caught flack on social media for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and they showed me some of the things and I was, you know, I was appalled. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I was just, um, that, that, that was something that, you know, I, I didn't think about it before and I was like, wow, you know, I, I had some, I had a lot of appreciation to them. Cool. Yeah. And, and last, just kind of non sequitur. What are you reading these days? What am I reading? Or or cool TV show you're watching? Um, I'm I'm not actually I get I get so um, dr- I, mean, I, I get so sucked into uh, <laughs> TV shows that they actually they they catch emotional space. Me I, too. I over identify with yeah. with the character. I, I watched Messiah not long ago, but um, but I mean I didn't feel like it. Do you like me. that? No, yeah. wasn't that? I mean, I, I had a, I had a low day, and I had I, I felt like I had a day where I needed to just lay in bed and do nothing but watch something, and that's what I did. I love those days. Uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> so it was great. Best. I haven't had one in a while. I'm not married, and I don't have kids, so I still get to have these days. So <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> um, so I still get to have these days, and I cherish them. Uh, but I'm I'm reading now. Actually, it's called um, um, the Wife of the Jewish Pirate, and it it talks about. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. <laughs> um, and it's uh, it's about the story of the Jewish pirates, and that's another like little in the lo- Caribbean. Uh, in the Caribbean, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's something that I, I love, and it also came out from Morocco and stuff. And it's just that that's a little thing that I really there's, like. There's a Jewish history to piracy. It's, yeah, it's cool. and the, and there were there were like Jewish pirates that came, you know, because there were like people with with great trades who were kicked out of you know Portugal and Spain with the Inquisition, and they found themselves you know as immigrants in the margins of society in other it countries. Makes total sense. Yeah, and so they joined um, pirates. Uh, because they needed work, and they found themselves being navigators and cartographs and whatnot. Uh, and so there is the, there's a whole story of Jewish pirates. If you go to the Caribbeans, you can see tombstones with uh, a skull with crossed bones and a star of David yeah. right next to them. Um, and there's awesome. and if you, if you there's a, a synagogue I think in Jamaica. Uh, where they have there was a synagogue in Jamaica with a, a in, in their sidur there is a special blessing in the back. It's the a, a, a no no Meshebeirach le Columbus. 
Um, ah. Just like thank you to Columbus who brought really? us to like a new place. So it just it, it fascinates me, and the fact that there were like pirates are basically you know I'm the wandering uh, Jewish, so you know pirates are like the you know wanderers and you know like Jack Sparrow and like, sea wanderers. Whatever. What's that? Sea wanderers. Sea wanderers, exactly. And, out- yeah. and outlaws and people who just their whole life is to go from place to place and explore and be means, but be mean, but you know, but <laughs> and pillage. Uh, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Um, no, but yeah. there's like also the, there's like the privateering aspect, like yeah. being mercenaries and being hired by the and American government exactly. to go and, and and to think that there was there was actually this one pirate who is was I think a Rabbi Samuel Falaji. Rabbi Captain Samuel Falaji. He was a captain on a pirate ship, and he had a synagogue on the like on, the on board. No. Yes, I mean, how 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 much more can That's the Jewish cool. story become cool? Like it was. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. In an alternate universe, there's a movie about that guy. There has there's to a be. Book. There's, a, there's book. a book. Yeah, the wife. Of, so I'm, I'm. I don't know where it goes yet. Um, reading now, it's called the Wife of the Jewish Pirate, and I'm. I'm. I just started, and I'm curious to see where it, it goes. Well, it's super I'll tell cool. you that much. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just a wild guess. <laughs> All right. No. What are you watching, Dan? Uh, what am I? So, okay. So you mentioned that, that shows take up a lot of emotional space. Yeah. I have that same issue as well. And people always be like, what? You haven't seen this show? You haven't seen this series? Same thing. And I'm like, it, it's it's probably too good. Yeah. And so, A, I, I, when something's really good, I binge watch and I don't have time to binge watch. Mm-hmm. And B, B I, I work so hard. And everything's so intense that I just, I, I need like stupid stuff. <laughs> so um, the one non-comedy show I've been watching is Lucifer. I'm in the last season of it. I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, I just finished Shit's Creek and now I'm watching uh, Superstore's on Netflix. Israel. I watched Superstore. And it is Flaris. great. It is great. Um, I like those kind. Is there any serious show? I like all the superhero shows. Like all, all of them. Like, uh, you know. And that's my thing. Up until the superhero show, we we, we were kind of the same yeah, person. Man. I'm exa- work so hard, need stupid stuff in the background, things that I've already seen, yeah, so that it doesn't yeah, take yeah. up space. And smart, I like smart comedies though. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Superstore is a smart. I'm rewatching comedy. Suits right now. Suits is great. It just got old after like you know season six, season four, season four. For you. <laughs> it's like okay, he almost gets caught and then he gets away. Okay, <laughs> I get it. It's it's actually quite funny. It's like a, a contentious topic in my house because every couple of years I'll rewatch all of the all of the West Wing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and my wife can't stand it because she likes the first time she that we watched the it's Western. She liked it, uh, but but like watching an episode for the twentieth time. <laughs> I, I do that also. No, I, I I I have I do that all the time. I watch things so many times because it takes space. It t- it takes emotional space, and work work is so hectic, and there's so much stuff to do, and I just I can't uh, uh, quote unquote yeah. I can't afford. The yeah. only time I watch new things is either if I need to take a day off, and then I need to like engage in somebody yeah. else's problems. Uh, or if I'm dating someone and then what do you do? You watch something together no, and that sure, actually, sure, sure. and it actually takes a lot. I mean, I mean, it takes a lot out of me. Yeah. And it's like, we need to watch, and it's like a chore and we need to yeah. watch, Wait, something. Let's watch something. Let's have a thing together. <laughs> yeah. When I travel also, I'll binge watch a show. Like I'll download a show when I travel and then I'll yeah, binge yeah, watch uh, it. Yeah. On, on the plane or something. Yeah. 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 Right. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, Shaked Berry, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me guys. This was awesome. This I really enjoyed it. A lot of fun. And once more, the book is Secret Israel, the Israel most visitors miss. Uh, and we'll put the link to that in the yeah. show notes. It looks like it looks like a good combination of guiding history, narrative, yeah. and, storytelling, and, and, little and bit hidden gems and storytelling. Mm-hmm. It looks like a cool read. Um, thanks for joining us. 
If you want to hire Shaked as your tour guide, speaker. Or, yeah. uh, or as a speaker for your community, uh, check out wanderingjewess.com. Correct. And we will catch you next time on Jewess. Jewanced is a joint creation of Benny Shoulder and Dan Pfefferman. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. For more information and show notes about this and previous episodes, visit us at jewanced.com and feel free to hit us with your comments and suggestions. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you back for the next episode of Juanced.